everyone that survived the apocalypse. Welcome to Mega Talks The Last of Us. I'm your host, Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Spencer. How are you? Doing well, man. Excited to talk a video game show with you. I'm, you know, we picked this show in part, I in part uh, voted to pick this show for scheduling reasons, it kind of fit in our schedule. We haven't been, uh, we have, on the Mangum Talks Podcast Network, we have not been reviewing a show since White Lotus went off the air in December. It worked perfectly, but the heat on this show, man, it's like, first off, it 4.7 million people watching it night of. That's extremely big. Mm-hmm. For a lot of, show. A lot of really high ranks from the critics. Everybody who played the video game is excited. How are you feeling about this show going into it? I, I was... Going in, I was very pessimistic. It's a video game show. It's a video game television show. Video game movies already sucking up. I assume video game television shows were bad. And the, admittedly, we've had a couple good ones in the form of Arcane in terms of uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runner, but those were making their own independent stories. They weren't adaptation. They were just in the same setting as the video game or also the tabletop for Cyberpunk. So I had decades of background to think this was utterly going to suck, and then everyone was talking about it, and I realized it was on HBO. Then I realized that the initial critic reviews were great. Then I realized it's made by the same guy who did Chernobyl. And they brought in the yeah. lead writer-director from Last of Us too. It's like, oh, <laughs> this may be the shit. Yeah, it may be really good. One of the things I've heard about this, though, is – so I know – all right, so here's how this is going to work, right? I know absolutely nothing about the video game. Not Zero. Nothing. Spencer kind of knows it. I guess you've played it some years ago. I, I wouldn't. You're I not, it's it. a PlayStation, right? So you're not. It's I, not like super. You're not super close with it, but you know the story. I finished it in 2013 when it originally came out on a friend's PlayStation Three, and I've not played it since. But I know the story, and I very much enjoyed the game. Okay, so that's kind of where we're at with it. Here's the one thing I have heard: is that this will be a very faithful adaptation to the story in the video game. It is. It is. That they are not really like how arcane was like, okay, we have this world. We're going to play in this world with a brand new story. This is, we have a story that we are going to put on television. Fundamentally different. And it's a video game that well accommodates it. Some of the mistakes they've made with video game adaptations in the past is like they did super Mario brothers, which is not a game that's driven necessarily by its story. Yeah, Doom, so. not a game necessarily driven by its story. A lot of, you know, examples over the course. Uh, Halo. <laughs> eh, fuck off. But yes. Um, but particularly games by Naughty Dog. They are very cinematic games. They are very story-watching, you know, characters do things kind of games. They're well-suited for an adaptation into a movie, so long as they have the right people running it and the right people stepping in for the wonderful voice actors. Seems like they've landed that pretty well. So... I, let's talk about our segments. So I think we're going to do here with the segments, we're going to do obviously best line of the episode. We always do that. I think we talked about doing father-daughter moment of the episode. Yeah. Or maybe we could term that familial familial yeah. scene of the episode, something like that. Like, you know, sure. you know we, can, we can relate that to when we've done, we've done Star Wars coverage. We've done nostalgic moment of the episode, right? Like, it's kind of the same idea. Like, what is the part of the show – where you're interacting, the characters are interacting, sitting you in the fields, right? That's kind of what mm-hmm. we're going to talk about. What other segments do you want to do here? Let's let's go ahead and set the table for the. For the I think almost any apocalyptic setting kind of show just invites ethical issues. It's the nature of the medium to ponder what level of humanity survives when the rest of civilization has failed. It's the quintessential Hobbes versus Rousseau debate set with zombies. I think this show, knowing the video game and what we've seen in the show so far, lends itself to it well. So I think ethical. unpacking. A couple of key ethical issues of the week could be a lot of fun. Ethical issues of the week. Okay, so there we go. We got our we got our segments. We're gonna do a recap. I'll lead the recap every week heroically, all the time. I mean, you know, it's like 
me leading the recap, Joel surviving the apocalypse. I mean, like 50-50. Exactly, tit, tit even in terms of power. Yeah, pretty much. And then we have the <laughs> best line of the episode, familial part of the episode, and then ethical question. I'd be super excited for ethical part of the episode. You being mm-hmm. a, a man of the law and everything. Uh, that <laughs> yeah, should sure. be a lot of fun to talk through. Uh, okay, so before we get going on episode one, which is titled When You're Lost in the Darkness, we do want to talk a little bit about the Emmys that happened while we were on break. Because How they did. We have been covering a lot of different shows that got Emmy love over the past 12 months. Specifically, White Lotus, House of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. In a shocker. To everyone, including the House of the Dragon cast that were there, which, by the way, three people came from House of the Dragon. Three whole people came from the all the, from the show. There were assumptions. House of the Dragon wins best drama at the Emmys. We have we have. I informed you of this via text. We have not discussed it. How did you feel? I was flabbergasted. I mean, in terms of realms of possibility, would realms. You have, <laughs> Good word. Yeah, thank you. Uh, would you man. would you have given that even like a fifteen percent chance? Maybe even lower. Honestly, I mean, no, honestly, like I, I didn't. I mean, they they didn't even take the showrunner. Didn't even go. Ryan Condor didn't even go. I'd completely written it off. Clearly, the cast had written it off. You know what made me write it off the most? When Patty didn't get nom for acting. Patty, like, yeah, they're Patty not taking yeah. they're, they're not taking the show seriously. They're not even if they're not even going to give him a nomination. They're not going to give the show the credentials it deserves. The uh, the laurels Pat, it deserves. So what you're referencing is Patty Constantine, who playing King Viserys, who's the guy yes. who died, the king who died uh, two thirds of the way through the series, did not get nominated for best actor, uh, and he would be best supporting actor in a drama series is what he would have been nominated in. Yeah, every critic at the time, and us included, professional critics that we are, were Indeed. like, episode eight was his Emmy nom, and it was a hell of an Emmy nom- a hell of a nomination video to put forward. And then when it didn't happen, I was like, eh, the show's not, the show may win a couple just technical awards, and that's about it. And then the surprise at the 11th hour. I mean, do, you said you're surprised. I mean, do you fundamentally agree with this? Would you have voted for it? Do you, do you like that they selected it? I mean, what? I do. Yeah. I do. I mean, I think it finally puts a lot of, it puts a nail in the coffin in the subject of the show can't escape its, pre- its legacy. It can't escape its predecessor. It will never be its own independent show, independent medium. It will always be judged in light of season eight. Well, they never won, right? Game of Thrones never won Best Drama. I don't think it did, no. Never. So House of the Dragon out the gate. <laughs> Already getting it. Uh, I'll tell you what I think on this. is uh, We cover House of the Dragon over on a podcast feed called Pot of the Dragon. We enjoyed it. We did two episodes of that podcast per episode of House of the Dragon. We will cover every single episode of House of the Dragon that comes out, probably every single follow-on series in the A Song of Ice and Fire world that HBO does. Mm-hmm. We like it. We're fans. Very I went so. to the con in December. Very much you, enjoyed it. You brought me merch. Brought in merch. I, I love everything Game of Thrones. I love A Song of Ice and Fire, but I believe that Pot of the Dragon winning shows that the Emmys are fundamentally not serious because – it is not that that season of television ha, was fun, but had enough problems that it is sort of silly to me that like the the time jumps that they did, the recasting of actors that was unnecessary, the stop and start stop and start of it, and it was up against season one of Severance, which might have been the best season of television I've seen in the last fifteen years. It's it, absolutely ridiculous that it would win and it won for the wrong thing what it should have done is gotten a nod for best drama because of what they're the difficulty of what they're trying to pull off which is a 
very complicated story in a very complicated world with a lot of expectations on the series. I like the drama. I like like being nominated for best drama. Who should have won? Patty Constantine should have won for best supporting actor. And that's how the show should have been honored. This didn't make any sense to me. The question I have for you, is this driven by the fact that I think it would be fair to say it was decidedly more popular than the, than the shows it was running against? Is it just purely that more people that more people saw it and were able to vote on it? Maybe, maybe. I, I mean, I, I, I'm on, on record as saying not enough people have watched Severance. It doesn't make I, any sense why it's not more popular. It's, I, I it's, haven't. It's the best thing I saw in the last twelve months on television. Um, that that's newly created. Uh, Severance is amazing. I, I think they had basically the entire production staff there. They expected to win. Everybody thought they would win. Uh, it was very confusing to me. I didn't. I, 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 as much as I enjoy House of the Dragon, I would not have voted for them. I think it's telling then that I have not heard about Severance other than you recommending it. Yeah, that's it. it. Well, it's I, on I, Apple. I, first off, it's on Apple, so that's telling. bad start. We we know that nothing good comes out of there. There's not a little show involving a coach in England that we've we've ever enjoyed. Yeah, no, no, nothing positive has ever nothing to ever bring up the positivity in the entire world has ever come out of the <laughs> Apple. So I'll tell you, Severance is not that show. It does not bring up your positivity. But no, it's, it's not. Severance is a fundamentally great show. I, it's confusing to me that it won. I would think Better Call Saul probably would have been its last season would have been a, a good pick too. So that's confusing to me. It made me think that the Emmys is not particularly serious anymore. I will say that I liked everything about White Lotus winning what it won. I like that the the lady who played Tanya won. I like that she yeah, seemed to be. I like that she that she seemed exactly like her character. I like that she seemed stoned out of her mind at the at the Emmys. <laughs> I enjoyed all of that. White Lotus, everything gets a round of applause for me. What do you think? Okay, this one he agrees with. All right, I think we should jump in. I think that's enough Emmy talk. Let's jump into episode one, The Last of Us. Episode one, when you're lost in the darkness. We'll start the recap. We start in 1968. It's a talk show. Uh, there are two. I guess scientists, specialists, uh, yeah. immunologists, maybe? Uh, epidemiologists. Epidemiologists. Might be immunologists, but epidemiologists. Uh, talking about viruses like influenza. And one of them is saying that, you know, I don't know, you could have a respiratory infection, that a virus that could go around the world, be a pandemic, could travel cause by a lot planes. of problems, could travel by planes. Uh, we don't know anything about that. The other one sort of curtly disagrees with that. He says that, you know, whenever we're up against big viruses like this, they take their toll, yes. But in the end, humans always win. What keeps them up at night? Fungus, which everybody gets a good laugh at. Fungus seem harmless enough, but many species see it differently because they seek not to kill but to control. He talks about fungus that gets into ants, a particular type, that controls their mind, make them do things that they don't even decompose. Why, Spencer? Where do you get penicillin from? Fungus. Fungi cannot survive if the host internal temperature is over 94 degrees. But what if, Spencer, what if, if we just put our thinking caps on, jumped into an imaginary world, what if there was a reason for the world to get slightly warmer? Ah, well, then all of a sudden it would have a reason to adapt. The fungus would have a reason to adapt. And what it could do in this person's opinion is create million, billions of puppets with one unified mind to spread it to the rest of the humans. He said there is no treatment to this. There's nothing we can do to help it. There's no cure. They can't even make a cure. So what happens if this occurs, Spencer? We lose. So I think they're setting the stage here, obviously. It's a, I called it situation uh, for what ends up going on. And I'm not, I'm not going to point to that, point this out too much, partly because they just don't need to, but this is an added scene. This is not in the video game. This is a scene they created for the show. I would I think, hope it's not. How would you play this in the video game? It would be 100% uh, cinematic, I guess. Uh, again, Naughty Dog games are very cinematic. Oftentimes you're just watching the characters do things, but no, this one's not in there. 
but I, th- I thought it was a great scene. I mean, John Hanna's a wonderful actor, and he does very well with a little two-minute role that they gave him here in the show. Uh, it, it, it's well played. It's a surprising amount of tension of where the show's, the host is originally trying to be very flippant about it. He's just trying to, you know, get the audience laugh, dismiss it, let everybody have a certain degree of fun. But everybody's smiles start to fade as the epidemiologist starts going and everyone realizes, oh shit, A, he's serious and B, this is serious. This is something they've never thought about before that is suddenly going to keep them up a few nights to ponder the possibility of this. Also, fun fact, this is perfectly real. This is something that keeps epidemiologists up at night nowadays because I looked this up to be sure. WHO reports more than 1.6 million people a year are dying of fungi around the world right now. This is a trend that is getting worse year by year, specifically because temperatures are going up. Now, it hasn't been the case that Ophiocordyceps unilateralis has affected mankind, but who knows in the future? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd I'd read some people. I I know, by the way, I know about a lot of things uh, or some things. Let's say some things. That's probably some things. I know about some things. Very fair. I know jack shit about science. I had read that this was kind of junk science, but I, if you've looked it up and, and you, you say it, it it's a little bit more on the nose what? maybe maybe than what those people were reporting. I don't know. But I, I kind of read that it was sort of a kind of throwaway, sort of junky science thing, but it's supposed to set the stage to scare it, you, basically. Is it true that fungi are getting more common and that fungi are possibly lethal for many of the reasons they specialize that there aren't that many effective treatments to do with them? Yes. Mind-controlling fungi affecting humans? There's really not a concern about that yet. But the show's making that leap. Yeah, okay. Uh, then we get the opening title sequence, which I gotta say, home run for the opening title sequence. Yeah. Loved it. It's apparently done by the same people that do Game of Thrones. Fungus growing over a map. I will say it does look a lot like Rings of Power, which probably gave you, like, shudders. And I didn't think about that. Now I hate it. probably really upset about that. It looks a lot <laughs> like Rings of Power, which That's I like. The Spencer hates. Blocked my mind. Uh, but, man, really cool cool effect of the fungus growing over the map. Oh, yeah. The, the cityscape growing over the map to cover the entire unit state, and then growing over the human form as well. The, the various downfalls of society showed as fungus eliminates it from the world. Now it's a 2004. Great year. 2004. First year I was at uh, at UNC. I was a freshman in 2004. Lovely hmm. year. Uh, we start with Sarah Miller. who gets up, wakes her father up, Joel Miller. Uh, she's making breakfast for him. Spencer, question for you. Did you ever get up and make breakfast for your parents? Not as like a regular thing. Typically speaking, because my mom is such a, uh, you know, a morning person that she'd be up at 4.35 in the morning. She'd be the one that woke me up. But for special days, I would like get up early, sneak out, and make them what was probably a pretty piss-poor breakfast, but damn, did I try. Yeah, good for you. I never did that. My, we were we were very much a, a cereal carton, milk carton, bowl situation every single morning on the way to work. Both parents worked. Um, Functional. And had to get out of the house. Uh, then she's looking for pancake mix. Guess what? Joel didn't get any pancake mix. Then she pours him a glass of orange juice. Why? Got to get him some vitamin C. So this is a very much a, a daughter taking care of a father situation. Now, a lot of times when you see this in media portrayed, it's because the father has some sort of real serious problem. May it be depression, addiction issues, alcoholism. Doesn't seem like Joel has any of that. It seems like he's just kind of absent-minded a little bit. He just, um, you know, he just kind of skips steps along the way. Uh, but he seems like he's well-meaning to me. I thought they did a good job with just a very few beats of showing that this is a single dad in a relationship of where the daughter is almost serving as a partner in some ways to yeah. make the household run. Yeah. Did you, she, she, he asked, did you get your homework done? Fractions. He's so complete. <laughs> he's so lost about what she's doing that it, she just laughs at him. 
Uh, she asked him how old he is. He's 36. Right, bold year. You're 36, aren't you, Spencer? I am. And Mandu, Mandu shows make 36 feel really old sometimes. Yeah, you could have a daughter this old. Um, he picks up that there is a shell in the eggs. Uh, and then calcium! Tom, calcium! Uh, Uncle Tommy comes in, chaos agent. We establish that Tommy is dependent upon Joel uh, because they pour concrete. I guess Joel has a concrete pouring business. Mm-hmm. And they establish that Joel is... I'm saying his name right, Joel. You are. Yeah, Joel, because some people say Joel, uh, Joel is going to work a double that day, which really annoys the daughter. Why? Because this is his birthday. He is 36 mm-hmm. years old today. She wants him to come home. He says, I'll bring a cake, I promise. At that point, I put the odds on him bringing a cake at about plus 800. Uh, that means nothing to you, Spencer. That's uh, that's bet $1 um, to win $8. <laughs> so it's pretty, pretty low stakes. Uh, I... He's actually going to do it. Same mindset entirely. It was clearly this guy very much intends in the moment that he is going to get a cake and is going to forget it maybe six minutes after walking out the door. Then we get the obligatory scene that we get in every single one of these apocalyptic pandemic shows, which is everything is hunky-dory, everything's going well, and uh, what's that? What's going on? And where's that? What part of the world is that? What's happening? Oh, Mm -hmm. we don't care about that. That'll never affect us. This is one of the more tropey aspects of the show. I think the show executes it well, but the build of the soul realization that the world is failing just immediately outside the camera lens is something they do at several points in this. Every single apocalyptic show does it, particularly zombie apocalyptic shows. Yeah, and this kind of played out in our society, right? Like, I mean, they're, they're, we very much had, I very much remember, like, hearing on the news, oh, there's something going on in China, some oh, sort yeah. of virus in China, and then all of a sudden I was at the supermarket and everybody was wearing masks, and I was texting you like, hey, dude, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> Something's it, gone sideways. So it kind of does play out this way. It, it, you know, as tropey as it true. is, it's pretty realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, Jakarta, capital of Indonesia. And utterly massive cities. I looked up and realized Jakarta had like 11 million people. Oh, I've been, my friend. I've been to Jakarta. It's uh, You it's, world it's, traveler. It's quite a city. Uh, it's a lot to take in. Um, can't drink alcohol there, though. So you bring your booze in. It's, a, it's, it's it, it, locked down there. Indonesia, the largest Muslim nation by population. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I, I did note there. Uh, as she gets ready, uh, we get her see her get a watch out of the dresser. She also looks at a knife he has. Um, she takes the watch and some money and leaves. Now, Spencer, did you think she was stealing the money at this point? Wasn't sure. Wasn't entirely sure. This is, All of this is added in for the games. I can't bow for any expert guides there, but it was curious. I mean, like Those were hundreds, notably, that she was flipping out. Those were big-ass bills that she was going through. Not for um, you. <laughs> well, you know, hundreds of, you know change money but for this family it's like smog in the mountain is what spencer has he's just sitting on his fortune (laughs) that was so poetic where did you summon that from oh (laughs) the effect tolkien has on people Uh, Uh, yeah i thought she was stealing i really did i I thought that's where we were going with this is that she was like good face to the the dad hey dad i got you here drink your vitamin c blah 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 blah, and stealing from him in the background had her completely wrong Glad to see it. This is a wonderful girl that we'll hopefully have for many seasons here with us. And then one of the most relatable things that like anybody can 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 recall from their childhood happens, and that is the neighbors who want you to come over because you're a kid and they like kids and they want kids around, and you yes. don't want to go to the fucking neighbor's house. Like it is so relatable. So dear Christ, yes. I mean, just straight up that couple with the old lady with them. 
very much that was in my in my neighborhood. By the way, the guy who was saying, "Hey, Connie was asking after you. Do you want some biscuits? Whatever." That guy played Buddy Garrity in Friday Night Lights. Iconic role. Hmm. I didn't recognize him. Yeah. Good call. Absolutely iconic. He crushed that role. Never got an Emmy nod, by the way. See, again, Emmy's not very serious. Um, <laughs> out on the Emmys. Out lays out on them. <laughs> says they can bake or whatever. Uh, offers a biscuit. She points out, Dad loves biscuits. He goes, all of a sudden, very quickly, Joel goes on Atkins, which I think is funny. So Joel doesn't like the neighbors, clearly. But he, he does throw his daughter right under that bus, rolls up. Uh, stops, rolls back over her and runs over again and says, hey, my daughter will, uh, she'll come over, she'll stay as long as you want and she'll tell you all about Atkins. So, you know, I think all of this is really apropos of nothing other than establishing that Joel had a pretty good life pre-pandemic and loved mm-hmm. his daughter immensely. I think that's what we're, yeah. we're getting at. And his brother, Clearly. too. I think we, we get it that he loves his brother, even though he's a bit of a fuck. He's a, he's a Prince Harry, as it were. That is a very much of a new way of referring to that particular position right there in the family, but yeah, I, I, they heavily emphasize that he loves his daughter, cares for her immensely, is kind of indifferent to other people that are out there, whatever else. He's polite, but doesn't really want to be around him, whatever else, and is at least beholden and loyal to his brother, even if his brother obviously annoys him. It seemed to me like this, this, so it, the pandemic all breaks hell, all hell breaks loose on his birthday, the night of his birthday, right? Yeah. It seems to me that what they are giving us is that this might have been Joel's perfect day, right? He got up, he worked a double. Honest mm-hmm. work. He Made seems to enjoy work. He gets to come home, watch a silly movie with his daughter on the couch. It seems like that might be yeah. the wheelhouse for this character. And as we see later, his daughter gave him a truly well thought out, nice gift too. That's just adding to what a perfect day this was. Cut and still, a little bit later. Uh, they, as he's driving off, we see that either Tommy or Joel, I'm thinking maybe Tommy, because it seems to be his truck, is a Desert Storm veteran. Um, yes. From the bumper uh, sticker, which checks yeah. out with the timeline. This is 2003. They're in their 30s. Checks out. It checks out very much. It also checks out with his decided skill with that rifle, as we see later. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Cut Sarah in school. She's there doing her work, doing her thing. This is the this is the Spencer treatment in school. Just head down, knocking it out. No problems. Easy peasy. Yeah, the class is useful for other people. I read it the day before. Yeah, just professional professional wrestlers to be everywhere in your <laughs> in your room. Shut up. <laughs> then we see Sarah get uh, not onto the school bus, but the city bus. This is not something that would have been allowed in my high school, but I was not inner city. So I don't know if this is something that is normally allowed, but she she sort of skips past the school bus and gets onto the, the city bus. Uh, how familiar are you with Austin, by the way? This is, Austin, this, Texas? This is where this is set. Oh, um, I've, I've been to Austin for sure. I've spent some time there. Nice town. Uh, it is a nice town. It would seem to me like the type of place where maybe she wouldn't be allowed to get on the city bus, but whatever. That's what I was kind of going to is that, eh, you know, I don't know if Austin would be perfectly kosher with that, but who knows? 2003. She gets off and uh, goes into a clock shop. Uh, She asks the guy to fix the watch. He says 20 bucks. She's like, that it? 30 then. (laughs) 20 is good. So I think what they want you to do is love Sarah. That's what they want. They want you to really care about this little girl. They succeed quickly. Yeah, she's charming. So she's getting the clock fixed. The guy says it's a spring. You'll do it right now. She's standing around. And then we see some police cars flying by. He complains that they've been going by all day. Then a woman comes out, says they have to close. Have to close right now. Very serious. Right now. You cannot finish. She's like, I'm already finished. And then he gives her the watch in a box, presumably fixed. The woman tells her very seriously she should get the hell home. Okay. You're Sarah. You just were at the watch shop, you got your dad's watch fixed, and this is what you're told as you're being forced rapidly out of a store that you've just heard is closing four hours early. What do you do? 
Uh, I go home for sure. Uh, I think that one of the most unrealistic parts of this first, uh, maybe 20 minutes of the show is Sarah's complete inability to go fetch the news on her own. Like she seems to be operated in this weird way. In 2004, I could have went, I could have like turned a television on. I could have grabbed a newspaper. Um, I could have jumped on the internet. I, I could have done a lot of different things to figure out the news. She's constantly like at the, at the peril of like adults. Like, Hey, somebody tell me what's going on. Like, that's a little unrealistic to me. I, 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 I will agree. I mean, the moment that happens, A, I would have like, demanded they tell me what the shit is going on right there before they, you know, got kicked, got kicked, got kicked out of the store. I don't think um, she was going to talk that way. That lady was about to no, she, boot she her was up. No, she was closing up. But yeah, the first thing I put to them, even before I went home, was find out what the hell was happening. It, it's very much like a 9-11 mentality of, okay, something just went down, I'm finding out what it is, because I'm now used to the idea there are massively traumatic events happening out there in the world at any time. Yeah, that, that's true. Cause she would have lived through 9-11 and she would have known that sort of wild news cycle of something huge has happened. Everybody's locked in. She would have been able to go search out the news on her for sure. She, she, she even says it later when they're driving in the car when the question she asked her dad is, is it the terrorists? Yeah. This is a mindset this girl has lived. Sure. And we, we all were at that point, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Sarah walks in, um, to her neighbor's house. She does not go to her house. She asks if everything's okay on the news. Um, she says, there's a lot of police cars going by, a lot of police out, and this neighbor, who's the fucking worst, says, yeah. that's true every day. People need to get right with Jesus. Three nails, one cross, forgiven. All right? This is the wonderful <laughs> tension that Austin represents between the broader Texas community. By the way, I have absolutely no problem with people who have religion. That is not my issue. My issue is her dismissing the question about what's on the news as if yeah. that could never affect her life. That's what? what's, that's what's troubling me here. And also like not answering the young girl's question who seems like kind of scared and concerned. Yeah, not the, not the, not the Jesus part of it. Good for her. She has Jesus. I mean, yeah. my problem is turn the, the news dismissiveness. on for the girl. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's, it's all, it's also like, it feels like there's a certain element of, well, of course the world is terrible. They've abandoned Jesus. So obviously it's bad news on there. I don't even watch it anymore. Mm. She about to find out. You about to learn today. Remember that old mm -hmm. meme? You about to learn today. Uh, she says, uh, little Kevin Hart, she says they should uh, make some cookies. Sarah Gamely would like some chocolate chip. The lady suggests raisin. I am going to clear the floor for you to discuss, Spencer, your feelings when someone says, let's have some cookies, and then they tell you they're going to be raisin. I, I wasn't out on her from Jesus. I wasn't out on her due to societal judgment. But the moment that this woman was given the opportunity of making either chocolate chip Preach. versus raisin and Preach. picked raisin, she was dead to me. It's like, I, I'm indifferent to what the zombies do to you from here. You have divorced yourself from the broader humanity that is worth saving. It, it is one of those things that, like, we've been friends long enough now that if I'm somewhere and someone, if this plays out, a young girl goes, can I have, some, can I have a chocolate chip cookie? And then somebody goes, I got oatmeal raisin. I go, oh, Spencer would be pissed right now. Like, that's the first <laughs> thing I think. You've ranted about oatmeal raisins so many times to me. Spencer hates an oatmeal raisin cookie. This is one of the moments of where I saw like this, like this interaction between two people. I'd intervene. I'd go like, girl, I'm going to go buy you some chocolate chips to save you from this situation. I am here for you right now in the way the world has left you behind. Smog opening up the coffers to save the world from 
I will offer the world (laughs) chocolate chip cookies. This is my platform. This is what I'm running on. I mean, you have described situations to me where you have walked in the break room, picked up a cookie, took a bite, expecting it to be chocolate chip, it be oatmeal raisin, and you are visibly angry at the people who who brought the the cookies into the office. I've complained. (laughs) I've complained about free food for the sake of what raisins were brought upon me. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, cut to Sarah looking at an older lady who's in the house. Did you get the name of the older lady? <clears throat> the, the I invalid? did. The, the, the guy that said at several points, but I didn't write it down. Let me see um, if I can find it while you're talking. Yeah, the invalid. <clears throat> when Sarah is there looking at DVDs, in the back, out of focus, we see the older lady start to jerk her head and her mouth opens in a very horrific horror element type of way. It's a beautiful shot because it's out of focus. You're seeing only the head. We learn later about how you threw a poster mm-hmm. about how this thing travels and it starts basically top down. It starts at your head, goes down to your feet. So it makes sense that this lady's uh, having it um, from her head. And then we, we also get a conversation in the truck later about how they have to take this lady to the hospital a lot. So it would make sense that she'd be kind of patient zero for that neighborhood because she would have brought it in from the hospital. We, we talked before about how Chernobyl as a show had a lot in common with like a cosmic, uh, super, almost supernatural horror in terms of how well done certain scenes were and just, you know, how terrifying and just outside of control that we, we, we consistently being bombarded with. Okay, that guy can do good horror. This is a well done scene of tension of just seeing all out of focus. I love that it's out of focus behind her too. Yeah, that's a cool part for sure. That's it's really well done because it's it's in the background. It's not what the character sees, and so we don't perfectly see it either. But we feel it. We see the we see the the vague silhouette of it, and it's scary. That's really well done, intense. Particularly since she doesn't leap out. She doesn't lunge for the camera. Right. She doesn't do any kind of stop. It's only at her head right slasher now. horror. It is just for the sake of us, the audience, knowing that things are going to hell and we're not sure when that bomb under the table is going to blow up. Thank you, Hitchcock. Yeah. And by the way, we covered the Chernobyl series. If you want to listen to our coverage of Chernobyl, you Great can go show. over to the Mangum Talks, uh, Mangum Talks TV podcast feed. So it's Mangum Talks TV. You can subscribe to that. And that's where we covered Chernobyl. It was a lot of fun. So um, Craig, Craig Bazin is a very gifted individual. Of these are the two shows that he's giving us back to back. Yeah. I mean, Chernobyl was one of the better things uh i've seen on television in a long time i mean it's not severance let's point it, let's get there it's not severance. <laughs> severance severance is the gold standard in lee's world uh i mean i think it would be for you if you watched it i honestly do i think i don't think i'm overstating that but no, chernobyl wow. was it was extremely good and it was a lot of fun to cover um and you're right it does remind me of that where we're get, we're getting we're able to fear a thing we can't see mm-hmm. or understand right? And or understand it, and 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 it's done in a very like impactful, simple way where I feel like it's probably going to hit with the vast majority of people watch it. Mm-hmm. So Sarah goes in and asks Miss Adler if she can borrow one of the DVDs. DVD two thousand four. Gotta love it. Gotta love the DVDs. That's a quite a DVD collection this old family has next door. Kudos to them. Yeah, not the uh, raisin cookies, but the DVDs. I'll give them credit for that. Sarah says she needs to go. She packs everything up and she leaves. So uh, as she leaves. We get this trope, which I'm a absolute fucking sucker for. I just the, the re- dog. <laughs> just throw the hook out. I will right in the mouth, and you can reel me in to the boat with this one every single time. It's the dog that figures out the danger before the humans do. Yes, love the, it every time. The, Absolutely love the, it. The preternaturally aware animal that is aware that you know it's it's like the cat detecting the earthquake before it happens kind of thing that the animals are aware that the world has gone wrong long before it becomes immediately apparent to humanity. Again, it's a well sold scene because 
nothing's jumping out. They're not letting the tension break by letting us have that kind of scream chord moment. We're just getting that unsettling moment of, oh God, when is this going to happen? Everything's going wrong. The characters don't realize it yet. The seeds are there. The spores are there, if you will. But Oh, look at that. <laughs> Phenomenal. On the fly. Uh, it was easy. On the fly. Hasn't happened yet. It, it, it's again, it's, I, it's a wonderful trope and it's done well here for that kind of tension. That, that dog, credit to the dog. Dog is a good actor. That little head cock and confusion, well played. Whoa. And he holds it for like 10 seconds. Like it is kind of like you're looking at that dog like, oh shit, like something is very, very wrong if you know mm-hmm. dogs at all. As Sarah goes to her house, she sees some low flying jets that look fairly military. That also probably would be a reason to go look on the news, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, at home, she's on the couch looking at a magazine, still not watching the news. And in comes Joel. Uh, guess what he doesn't have, Spencer? Uh, I think he's missing the certain uh, desserty confection that he promised earlier. No cake. Absolutely no cake. And by the way, Spencer probably would have required an ice cream cake, which requires even more planning and uh, logistics because it will melt in your car. Uh, again, the second poll of my political platform I will run on someday, ice cream cake for everyone. I'm, no bread and circuses for me. Chocolate chip cookies and ice cream cake for the entire country. I think I'll win. Unifying candidate. He tells her she locked the door for once. That's an interesting sort of line there. Mm-hmm. Um, it tells, what it tells me is that, um, first off, it, it's their playful interaction, right? You get some yes. of that. But it also tells me that she might be a little scared. She has locked the door for the first time, right? Um, apparently he's late. It's 10 o'clock. She asked for the cake. His response, shit. She says, come on, man, which is kind of a funny thing to say to your dad. Um, <clears throat> she says uh, he doesn't get his present. And he says, I get a present. And I got to tell you, um, Pedro Pascal is just charming. Oh, he really gets it. He gets just a li- He got just a teeny window to be charming here with this little interaction about his present and he charmed charmed the hell out of me uh, it, it was great you, you talked about like you know the dog tropes before he almost sounded like a dog that was being offered a bone uh, he uh, offered a uh, ball uh, it was uh, like uh, it had that exact that tone thing. Uh, yeah exactly yeah, very much kind home of improvement it. kind of moment right there <laughs> she gives him the watch and he pretends it doesn't work another charming joke yeah. she says i could have sold 60 but i put the change back because i'm an honest thief Another Tolkien reference, like Bilbo, Honest Thief. Oh, indeed. Uh, plus, you never would have done it for yourself. Um, I love their relationship. I love their band. No, uh, just, just for your records, this is the first scene from the video game. This right here. This is where the game basically opens, is right is right here. She, other than like spending a little time wandering around as the girl. Um, but it, it's a great scene between the two of them, because it just... We don't get much time. But we care so much about their relationship for these, like, three or four interactions that they have over the course of this opening part of this episode. So, I am charmed by this. I don't want to pretend like I'm not. Yeah, please. I do want to say, like, it's not the most healthy situation. Like, oh, that God she no. has to do all of this. God, stuff. no. Like, He's not what, a functional what, adult. Yeah, like, he he probably should be in a situation where she doesn't feel like she needs to steal his uh-huh. money to fix his watch because he would never do it. Not even before we even get to her basic needs, right? Which she's clearly meeting and exceeding. So it's not perfect, but within this sort of situation, which isn't great, it is as charming as it can be. I've also seen it in real life a hell of a lot in one one child, in one child, one parent households. Yeah, one parent households. Uh, Specifically one child, one parent households of where they kind of establish a certain degree of shared codependence to carry the load. And so it's a real to life trope, I'd say. 
Yeah, I mean, my my parents got divorced when I was like older, and I I did kind of I, like I, I remember when it happened. Like the first thing I was like, "Mom, can I clean the gutters? Like, let me let me start changing light bulbs." They step like, in as a parent. <laughs> what can I do to help? Like, and I was never doing that stuff, you know, two or three years before that. Um, so yeah, maybe that that, that there is something to that. But it, I just I did feel like as charming as it was, I felt a little bad for the girl, where I was like, "Oh man, she shouldn't be having to do all this stuff." What? I mean, I, I think the, the I think the character in the, in the video game is twelve. I think this character, I think the, the actor they hired is a little bit older than that, and they may be going for a little bit older than that. But she seems more mature than she is, probably because she's had to be because right. she's carrying yeah. a lot of the load for the household. Yeah. Cut to so he gets excited about the DVD. It has some deleted scenes. I don't remember that. Remember those old days when it had deleted. Oh, scenes that was that was the fun part. You buy the DVDs for that purpose to see or, or to listen to the director's commentary. Yeah, the director's commentary was always good too. And then, then you had some where he had extended editions, additional scenes, all, oh, all yes. kinds of fun stuff. He tells her not to fall asleep. She does right away. Cut to Tommy t- calling Joel. He's in jail. He claims he was he not new, not new, not new, not new. Here's the story, Spencer. Uh, some guy acting out in the bar mm-hmm, was trying mm-hmm. to hit a waitress. He stepped in, protect her. White knight. How much of that do you believe? Actually, this time I believe him more than I don't. Because uh, it seems almost that he's caught off guard by it. It seems almost like Tobby's like, okay, I know this sounds false, but this actually happened this time. Uh, but almost has that element of where it's been a lie the last eight times, or you know, like entirely his fault the last eight times. But he almost just seems defensive about, no, I just walked into this one. This is unexpected. I think this is another like the pandemic's happening kind of thing, and Tommy got caught in the early part of it. You've convinced me. I agree with you now. I didn't. I didn't quite believe it when I first heard it, but that makes sense. You're right. It, the way he he kind of goes, way he doesn't even wait for Joel to give an answer. He's just look. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you believe me. Like this is this is what's happened. I just need yeah. you to pick me up because all hell's breaking loose, and it's I'm not going to stay up here and it's all a weekend. Friday. I'm not staying here all weekend. <clears throat> now that is a true thing. When people get arrested on a Friday night, they need to get, get your friends out. out. Get, get your friends out on Friday night because they'll be there Saturday and Sunday. The judge leaves early. Get your friends out. Yeah, uh, Joel begrudgingly agrees to go get him. He puts Sarah to bed, still sleeping, and he takes off. We are following Sarah's perspective here because she wakes up at two, a little after two, because uh, there's a dog barking, sound of a helicopter, a lot of lights, horns honking. She goes to see Tommy, but he or goes to see Joel, but he's not there. Mm-hmm. The helicopter sound is really close. She walks downstairs. Pretty creepy what, stuff here. If you were Joel, would you have left a note, or would you have woken her up? Or what would you have done differently than Joel did, or would you have hoped that she would just have slept? Probably would have left a note. Probably would have left a note too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because j- just in case she wakes up and gets scared, would be my yeah. Way. Um, I, you know, you don't want to bring her with you because you don't want her seeing the uncle in that sort of situation. In, in jail. No, no, no. Yeah, um, but don't want to take her. Don't don't want to take her. But to if she's supposed to be twelve, it's a tough look leaving her there. Um, especially, you know, why it's a tough look leaving her there, Spencer? Why? Because something like this could happen. Yeah. Um, so. She tries to turn on the TV. The only thing she sees is the national alert. I will say to all of our listeners, this is Uncle Lee out there to the kids. If you ever turn the television on and all the channels are off and everything is just a national alert telling you to stay inside. Stay the fucking inside. This is not a drill. This is bad news. Hey. Stay inside. The moment you see the national alert thing, I'm either assuming from <laughs> growing up, it's a tornado or B, it's been a disaster. Either way, I'm getting in the basement. Uh, that's a pretty uh, everything all the tr- first off i like that we're, we get sarah's perspective here i think it's a lot more impactful than if we had joel's yeah it's, it feels more helpless as a result than, than if that was joel yeah it's a good expl- that's a good explanation you do feel very helpless and all every little thing that's going on around you is just fucking creepy it's a yeah. lot of creepy so the dog mercy is the name mercy 
<laughs> on point. Oh my gosh. Hammer, nail, head. Yeah. Shows up and she tries to soothe it, but it is not feeling it. She looks around, she sees a helicopter coming overhead. So many sounds of emergency equipment off in the background. Everywhere. In the foreground, everywhere. She tries to take the dog back, but he is not did, going. He pulls away she, from her and then just takes off. Didn't she even see like explosions out the window or something? Or maybe up in the she, video game? She, well, she, she sees, um, uh, like a cascade of light. I'm not, I'm yeah, not sure. It's yeah. like a transformer. It's blown up or something else. Yeah. Dog takes off my head cannon. Dog survives this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Dog goes in the uh, woods, survives this whole thing. Dog, dog creates his own pack is actually running the entire center part of the country 20 years from now. I think it's very long. I think dog. it's abundantly reasonable to suggest that the dog might be able to smell the fungus. Um, and we, the dogs might actually do pretty as okay as you could imagine in this type of scenario. Cause it probably can smell it. Because that's mm-hmm. why this dog was aware that something was sideways with the lady to begin with. It wasn't because the head jerking. And, and at least what we've seen so far, we don't know necessarily that animals are under threat. No, we haven't seen any animal in trouble. Uh, she stands there, obviously getting scared. She walks over to Mr. Adler's house. She hears something from the kitchen, walks over toward it. It's a very horror movie scene. What, I'm going to ask you, as you describe this, at what point do you turn around? Go, go through it. Go through it. But tell me when you reach the point so you me, would have turned me, around. This is not going to come as a shock to you. Uh, it is, it is, there is a, it is supposed that when facing crisis, most humans have a one of two reaction. They fight or they flight. Yes. I am as common summary. I am as far in the flight category as you get. (laughs) I I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have been outside. I wouldn't have left my house. I would have been checking the news earlier in the day. I would have been there. There's, I would I would never have gotten in this situation to even be in the neighbor's house. I would have already been in the flight category. But to answer your question, um, trail of blood, turn and see the woman over the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be running as soon as I saw that. No questions asked. I wouldn't yeah. stand there and wait for it. Yeah. What, what, wait, wait. I, I do love our friend group because we have people just on complete different parts of that spectrum. So we've got friends that would see this kind of event and create their own militia. That would be their fight response yeah, they'd have sure. right away. Uh, my wife, by the way, is is very much we, – we joke about this all the time. She is fight. She goes toward the trouble. I run mm. away from the trouble, I, uh, oftentimes pulling her back from the trouble. Right. And she – in this situation, she would have been boxing the lady with the fungus. She would have been <laughs> fighting physically the lady with the fungus, ready I, to go. For, for me, the moment I saw like the giant curly cue of – Thick ass, like heart artery pumping blood. That's the moment I go. I'm not equipped to handle this situation, nor do I have any of the tools to address it. I'm going to go call nine one one. But that's I'm tricky, out. though, because would your curiosity have gotten the better of you nope. to see where the blood nope. is going, what's going nope. on? Nope, 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 nope. You're very nope. smart. I, You're very smart. I, I think a lot I of people would have. I don't have the curiosity. When I see giant rec- a, a giant display indicating death is upon me, my response is, I'm at least going to go get something hard I can smack death with. I'm not staying there to try to go punch, punch with death. So we look over in the corner. Buddy Garrity is down in the corner. Uh, he's got some sort of sore on his neck and he mouths, help me, uh, to, uh, Sarah. Then we see the older lady. It's almost like he was bleeding. I thought coming off. It's like as if he'd been chewed on by the old I think lady he'd been first. Bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he's in the corner and, uh, he, um, I think he also at this point has the fungus cause his arms are kind of locked up. It's um, getting into his system. It's, it's like this has happened over the course of like a couple hours now. It's just, she's finally gotten, gotten over to see it. Let me see the older lady who was an invalid. Apparently the fungus now controlling her brainstem, um, a, up and at him, walking mm-hmm. around, and appears to be eating or feasting on the corpse of Mrs. Adler. 
Um, uh, or, or seeding it, uh, sporing it, as it were. It seems, it seems like we see frequently for this that they're almost just kind of forcing their mouths into them rather than they're necessarily chewing. It's almost okay, like so explain that distinction for everybody because I watched this and thought they were chewing on the people. I, they do in some ways a bit of a different thing in the show, but just focus on the show. It seems like what they're doing is that they are – this is an act of reproduction almost. This is the fungus trying to spread itself into other things – by biting, breaking the skin, and inserting the fungal fiber so as to spread the rhizome. So it's, into it's French kissing the, the, the wounds. And then spreading an STD, sure. Yeah, okay. All right, well, that's not what I got from the show. I'm glad you explained that. Um, so the, the, um, Sarah starts to get very obviously worried, and then the older lady just takes off after. Uh, she walks outside, she sees her dad, he stops the truck, gets out. The older lady starts to take off toward them. Tommy asks, what are we doing, Joe? Um, so I do want to pause there and just show that they establish the writing's really good here because they're establishing just very quickly, kind of subtly that Tommy looks to Joe as the leader in these very much so right away. He's got the gun. He very, I'm telling you, if I'm Tommy, I'm not asking, what are we doing, Joe? I'm shooting that old lady, but he waits, he holds for Joe to tell him what to do. Joe smacks the lady with a huge wrench. And if Joe had said shoot, do you think Tommy would have delayed for even a half second? No, I think he was. He, I think he is very much his, in his, lieutenant. His senior officer was there. Yeah, and it, and I think that's important to know that about their relationship. At least that's where it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's sure apparent. It's there. I think it's apparent in the car too, because several times of like Tommy saying, "I can't do that," and Joel says, "Do it," and Tommy just does it because yeah, they're dri- driving around everything else. Joel says, "Listen to me. It's not just the Adlers. We're going to get out of this, and we're going to be brave." Oh. <sighs> Credit as well to the uh, portrayal they do of that. That's a wonderful father-daughter moment. It's so well played. It's so perfect for that dialogue and that kind of acting we're between the two. We're gonna be brave. That's tough. Yeah, uh, but credit to the old lady and just the general actors they have in the direction that they gave the zombies. They went twenty-eight days later style of zombie with this, and it's intimidating to see the jerky movement, the inhuman kind of movements. The there is a foreign entity controlling this that it's not used to controlling a human kind of movements going into this. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, the thing about it that is, I think, maybe more realistic than what we saw in 28 Days Later is that they're kind of clumsy. Like, they're yeah. not, they fall down. They're not really good at walking. They they're just... Misjudged distance. It, it's really like lunging forward mm-hmm. as opposed to walking or running. It, it's almost like somebody's like throwing a puppet kind of style of it. It's where they're being launched forward. They're being tossed forward, but they have no actual command of the physical space. Yeah. Joel tells another neighbor to get inside, lock the doors. Joel just takes off and... Uh... And Tommy drives. We get this really cool camera shot from inside the car, like you're driving. It reminds Very me first of a video. Person. That reminds me of a video game. It, was the, is that a scene from the video game? Almost shot for shot. Okay. In terms of, yeah. it, they make it bigger. They add a lot more planes and everything else to it. But it is very much the pace and the beats of the video game, and it's the same perspective. But as you can see, it's a very effective perspective to make the situation the incredibly tense and to be in a car. Yeah, I love that they. Do. There's multiple scenes like that. The the last scene that we get to looks mm-hmm. like it's from the video game where they're going through the the fence. Um, I like that they're 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 actually grabbing full full scenes from the video game because uh, that that is intense. It, it's very it works really well. So she asked Joel if they are sick. He says no, of course not. She says, how would we know? And it's a damn good question. <sighs> It's in the category of we don't have time to worry about this now. That is future Joel and Sarah's problem. Right now, we just got to survive the present situation. But they have no clue. They don't know how this works. This is just happening upon them. An old lady just ran. We I like too that we see them kind of go through the process of pondering why what they just saw happened. It's like 
How did the old lady get it? Or she went to town to the hospital. Maybe she got exposed there. They're creating their own narrative to explain something to have some element of comfort that they otherwise are completely lacking. Yeah, well, they might have got some of that if they would have paid attention to what was going on in Jakarta. Here's a little uh, second Uncle Lee to the kids out here. Um, here's the thing. If you're watching the news and Prince Harry releases another book about how he was mistreated when he was four <laughs> and like William took his toy one time and that made him go cry in his bedroom, that is something to skip. If you turn the news on and the government of Indonesia has fallen because of a sickness, lock into that shit. Yeah. Pay attention. Because that's, that's going to be, that's gonna matter. That's going to be your news shortly. The world is too globalized for that to happen and not be affected by it. Yeah. Sarah, they passed Jimmy's place. It's burning. Sarah pieces together that maybe the Adlers got it from going to town, going to the hospital. I suspect she's probably yep. right. They are driving and they see some folks on the side of the road. Uh, Tommy says uh, he's going to stop. He said they have a kid, Joe. Joe says so do we keep driving. So uh, Joe's a hard ass fucker even then. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's really important for his mentality later is that we see that like his perspective is in this type Mine, of situation, we, everyone else. we protect our own. And like yeah. that's the most important thing. Um, and, you know, continuing to establish the hierarchy, which Tommy listens to Joe. Um, I have in my notes, Joel has the right mentality for this fucked up situation from the jump. I stand by that. Uh, it's one of the things that we're, ethically speaking, we're going to debate this scene later. From a pure, my only goal is the survival of me and mine, Joel's a good guy to have on your team, so long as you are on his team. Being like the guy that's a hanger-on probably would not be great around Joel, but if you're in the people that he views as his, good guy, keep close. They keep driving, trying to figure out a way to get out, but the path they were going to go is completely backed up. Uh, they try to take that freeway to go to the west side, but that requires going over some grass. They do, again, a really effective scene from inside the cab of the truck. Very much so. Going over forced the grass. Bumping. Uh, forced perspective. There you go. Bumping and everything. And we see the road is completely backed, this time by the army, <clears throat> which would be really concerning for me. Uh, they decide to keep moving. Um, to keep moving north. Uh, they keep going through the grass. Joel asks how much his gas he has left. Three quarters of a tank. It's pretty right. good. Yeah. Joel tells him to cut through town. So they go around the blockade and uh, then they're out. That's the plan anyway. It's interesting how quickly Joel has slipped into barking orders. It's not just Tommy looking at him for advice. It's Joel telling him, do, go, down, mm -hmm. stop, break, go. Um, I, have to I also that notice that Tommy is driving too. And that helps mm -hmm. his story that he wasn't completely out of control when he was arrested because like he couldn't have been that drunk when he no. was put into the, into the, into the jail because he's, he's driving very effectively here. It does not seem to be drunk. People love to say that, you know, a situation has sobered me up. Doesn't really that much. You can be a little bit more alert. This guy seems stone cold sober now. Like he wasn't even drinking that uh, tonight. And he so. might not have been, uh, he, he very well could have been, um, and could have just really actually taken care of a drunk guy. Because mm -hmm. um, if you spend much time, you spend much time in bars. There's plenty of chances for you to be a white knight if you want to, because there's a lot of assholes in bars. Yeah, yeah, the cluster. Uh, Sarah sagely says that maybe it's elsewhere, maybe it's everywhere. Basically, saying, basically saying, what she's challenging here is where are we going? It could be yeah. everywhere. And here's the really heartbreaking part of this to me, is that in the I don't know what would you say, Spencer? About four minutes, Sarah gets to ponder this in the back of this truck cab. She pieces together more of what's going on and the reality that they're in than Joel seems to get, even when we are in the 20 year jump. 
even when we're 20 years from now. She she could have been so useful if she had been allowed to use her brain in this situation for more than, I don't know, 15 minutes. I, as it, it's... It's another example of the scene we got earlier with her knowing about Jakarta and kind of politely mocking them about their statements about where, what country is that in, in Asia. The, the, the girl's got a good head on her shoulders, more so than either her father or her uncle. It's just a shame that this situation isn't great for accommodating that. Yeah, I think I think she would have been really, really helpful. Um, so it. Uh... Where are we? Um, yeah, I know. Town. No, no, no. I got it. So they get to town. We also see a number of planes flying overhead. Very, low overhead. very low and kind of back to back to back. That part also a little bit unrealistic, right? Because the, it, what, it, what it, I think they're suggesting is that these are commercial airliners where all hell is broken loose on the commercial airliner and they are crashing. Uh, my, my assumption wasn't that. My assumption, this is added, so I'm just assuming, uh, that this is just a display of how much the situation has gone completely off kilter, that the air, airport just said, everybody off. Just, it's a ma- almost like a mass evacuation moment. They're letting planes off that quick, all together taking off. Because I didn't seem like they were crashing, just like they were all taken off and going at the same time. I don't know where Austin Airport is to know whether that would be realistic. They'd be under it. But that's at, that's at least what I saw. I didn't see these as crashing, just wholesale everybody's leaving. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, they seem to be out of Unusually control. low. They seem to be low and out of control, uh, which mm. made me think that there was chaos going on on the plane. But the problem with all of this is that none of these planes would be taken off at 2 o'clock in the morning anyway or be in the air at 2 o'clock in the morning. So that's the mm. part that's a little tad unrealistic to me. Fair point, fair point. Uh, they get to town and it's a madhouse. Joel is telling Tony to drive through the street. He doesn't care. Joel is basically saying, run these fucking people over. Go. Literally what he's saying. Cold yeah. motherfucker. You see a big number of people uh, being chased by infected people coming out of a building. So they start to back up. And then we see a plane coming and it is flying straight down and crashes not too far behind them. Is that a scene from the, the video game? The crashing no, pl- plane right near the them? Planes added. They did a different way in the video game of closing the scene. It was an effective way of basically... Removes the need for the gameplay elements of him having to, you know, force his way through zombies, whatever else, which wouldn't be realistic and would just delay frame. It's just like, no, the plane's going to wipe out the situation so we can move on to the next scene. Yeah, I keep asking that, and I, I will stop asking if if it's in the video no, fine, or not. But I, I, I can, I know that can get repetitive, but this first part felt. Isn't- so much like a video game of trying to survive the apocalypse and where do you go and get in the car and like, oh, there's a crashing plane and you're trying to, you know, get get away from all the people and you're hitting people in the car Grand Theft Auto style. It very much felt like a, a video game. Other than the plane crashing as a way of intervening, I think it's actually the flaming cop car that rams them is that what happens in the, in, in the, in the actual video game. Um, the scene's almost shot for shot. It's very authentic to the, spe- the scene and to the tension that, Rightfully, it's just one of the best video game openings of all time for just how much you are in it as this is going on for the characters. We see a plane coming and it flying straight down. It crashes not too far behind them. We see a piece of metal fly through the truck and then everything goes black. It starts with Sarah, Tommy, and Joel waking up from the crash. Sarah looks uh, outside and sees an infected person. I have here chewing on another person, but... I, I think chewing are... is accurate. It's just I don't think they're necessarily eating. I think they are They're chewing to spreading. spore to, to spread. Okay. We established that Sarah's injured her ankle. It looks broken. Then a police car slams into the back of the truck they're in. That was wrecked. And then they play it as Joel and Tommy are separated by the crash. Visually, they, they made a mistake here because to the left of the crash, you can see that they could have just walked around to get to it, each other. They, yeah. they made a mistake there. I, I think it's purely just an error. What they wanted to frame was like it's an alley. It's clearly blocking yes. off. They can't get around it. But, yeah, there was a visibly – it happens. Whatever. Yeah, it, it was just – 
I, I'm not upset about it. I, I think that this is a well done episode, but that was a mistake. Sure. Um, so, and then they, um, Joel picks up Sarah and he's carrying her through. Um, and one of the zombie people, uh, start chasing them. One of the infected what? people start chasing them. I, I love the direction for that particular scene of where it's just a field of zombies feeding, sporing, whatever else they're doing. And then as they're looking at over this, one of them just like pops up like a gopher. It's yep. like somebody just ripped his strings up real quick. It's like, what, what is that? And focuses in on them. And a chase starts that is great for what you just said earlier. For It is this just weird launching kind of thing that this thing goes. It's not running coherently. It is just drawn to whatever else this is This is before it. Because, you know, this going with the logic of what's happening here, right? Mm-hmm. I would think that the fungus wouldn't care if it hurts the host physically, like banging, breaking bones, whatever. So like all this like flinging and going, it doesn't matter. Like, so they'll, they'll f- slam into a wall and hit their head on something. None of that, none of that matters. It's just simply controlling the brain. The fungus is controlling that real, the back of the brain stem, just that super base part. And that's the only thing that's animating these creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never understood why Joel didn't just put Sarah down and clock this fucking thing, but I think he's panicked. I, I just I, think he's worked up here. I think he's just desperately trying to get away. And the idea of putting her down would be putting her at threat. And he can just cannot let that happen. They run out of the building. The zombie is shot. And we see it's some sort of law enforcement or military personnel is watching them. He comes, comes to his peers and is told, uh, I guess to kill them. And he starts to shoot, but Joel jumps down a ravine. Um, or a little hill. Uh, mm-hmm. The the military guy gets over Joel is about to kill him and actually says I'm sorry. He does mm-hmm. like he doesn't want to do this. Table that for ethical question of the episode, and is shot by the brother. Uh, it's very much beat by beat, almost exactly as it was in the big game, and it is effectively tense. I mean, Pedro Pascal is a great actor for a lot of different emotions here, and it, I'm in with him. I'm tense for this scene and. All the more tense for the aftermath because I at least know what's coming. Did you anticipate where this would be going for this scene? I thought Sarah would. I thought that Sarah was. Oh, it doesn't work out. What? Did, yeah. Not not logically. What did you just emotionally in this moment think was going to happen? I I don't know, man. I thought that she was going to survive, and that the whole thing was about them two trying to survive together. But mm-hmm. like now that the, I think now that I take the, a, the road with zombies. Now I take a fucking second think about it. She'd be twenty six or. 32 or whatever in that in that jump ahead so that wouldn't make much sense but that's i didn't expect her to die is the moral of the story here no one did so she goes over to sheriff she's shot she's bleeding very badly how many times do we see this the daughter's shot but is able to survive right she always survives of course she survives it's a it's 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 a it's a part of the experience it's just raising tension it's a flesh wound she's gonna be fine she's gonna be great it's like you're doing the exact same thought process that joel's going through his head right now to try to rationalize what the hell is happening before you it's like of course she's fine she's gonna be fine She's his daughter. She's going to live. There's no other way she can't live. Dies in his arms while he yeah. begs begs the world to save her. She's hyper. She's, but they act it perfectly because she starts oh, hyperventilating. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what occurs here in these situations because, um, you know, blood is uh, – she's clearly severed an organ here. And oh. the blood is pooling throughout her body and, and it's starting to collapse her lungs. I, so uh, tries to put pressure on it. He goes to pick her up. She cries out in pain. Joel calls for Tommy to help. Really, really tough scene here where oh, Tommy yeah. just looks and goes, Joel. Joel. It's like, Joel. She's, she's dead. Yeah, and she dies. And he's left there rocking her and holding her. And that is the end of 2004. That, that is our prologue. And kudos to the acting of everybody in this scene. God, do they sell it well. Now to 20 years later. So 2023. Uh, we see a young girl walking through the forest. 
her walking doesn't seem so great, I would like to say. Jerky? Confused? Doesn't almost look normal. Acting concussed kind of thing? Yeah, eh. she's, she's got a pink shirt on with some high-top sneakers. She walks to a ledge. And we see, is what we're seeing is Boston? It, this is the Boston quarantine zone, yeah. We so have this cha- is confusing. We have changed time zones. This is confusing as fuck. Because they pick, this. we're, we're in the city, Austin. And then the 20-year jump later, Joel is in Boston. Yes. It makes me think I fucked something up. They're too close. Nope, you are completely right. They could have easily picked a different city for this to work. But it, it kind of makes sense if you're doing like a concentrated quarantine zone of a lot of people in it. An East Coast city makes a lot more sense than a, than a Texas city that would sprawl everywhere. Well, for sure. Absolutely. But, but I, similar I, names is rough. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so with T. Watson, what's left of it? Question to you. It's interesting to me how the buildings have completely decayed and given up after 20 years. Would all the buildings just com- collapse if we don't keep them up for 20 years? It would seem to me that some of these high rises would probably not just fall into themselves. Like they're, they're meant to last more than 20 years, right? They are meant to last more than 20 years with maintenance. I, I don't think they necessarily fall into themselves that outside factors, but complete lack of maintenance can cause problems. I also think just the general decay of society and what be associated with it could cause problems because there's going to be fires in those buildings. There's going to be instances, there's going to be explosions, all of which could also work to undermine the foundation as just society falls apart around them. So not just the sole process of decay, but what occurred about that decay can drive that kind of devastation. Yeah, because what we see is a city that looks... Blown to shit. Yeah. And then grown like, over. Like, basically, uh, yeah, like, like based 10 miles out of Nagasaki, basically, um, what, is what it kind of looks like. I, mean, I, I don't think what we saw in Austin would probably be that unusual for what was occurring in every city around the world, or at least the U.S. at that time. Around the world, eventually. I imagine Boston went through that, too. They were just it, able to secure a few areas of it. Well, Boston would have probably been worse, right? Yeah, because more it concentrated. Have, it would have probably just torn the city up, but they probably would have u- then come in. Like, how I would expect is everybody who's in Boston would be fucked. But yep. then they would come in from the outside and use that as a quarantine zone. S- secure an area of it. I yeah. think that's very plausible for how it Like, there's not going to be a massive military presence in Boston already. They no, clearly had to go in there. If you're in one of those apartment buildings, God dead. help Dead. Yeah, they, God uh, help You're either dead or you were able to survive long enough for the military then come in to secure the situation later. But it's best of luck to you. She walks up. We see some military personnel um, who uh, see her. And um, they invite her in, which uh, um, is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, I, was, I wasn't anticipating that. It's like, oh, my God, look at them being so helpful. Look at them being so caring. They're helping a wayward girl wandering around the apocalypse. Clearly, this can't go wrong. They bring the young girl in. She's injured. She's not speaking. Uh, they come up to her ear, and it looks like they test her, and the test flashes red. We see that in the background. Uh, it's so casual, too. The guy just flips it up on his screen. It's like, eh, look at that. It, they've done this a lot of times. She, she tells this girl that they're going to give her medicine. And after that, they're going to give her the world, all the best toys and food and on and on and Wait, on and on. You, at this point, you knew she was dead, right? No. You still, you, you, you still had hopes that she was, no, just, because was a very nice lady. That, well, it occurred to me that maybe in, maybe they would have some sort of way to fix Vaccine, this after 20 treatment. years. Yeah, I thought they actually did have medicine after this. So, Because what they're telling us in this moment is... 20 years later, they have, they still have no way to deal with us at all. No, they've got quarantine. If you got it, that's it. Yep. Yep. It's just a a, matter with one notable exception that we see this episode. If you got it, it's a matter of a couple days at best or a couple or a few days at best. 
They eject her and the young and the lady tells the young child that she is safe. Cut to the outside and they are a burn body. Uh, they're burning bodies. So mm-hmm. 20 years later, they're still losing enough people per day to have burn pits. Yeah, th- this isn't a thing of where they've got a... They've, at no point have they had a net gain on population. They haven't even had population stability. The world is still dying 20 years in. Woman's standing there and she... Uh, she looks like she's the one responsible for throwing the bodies in the burn pit. A new truck comes up. They unhook it. She sees the body. She touches Joel, who we see Joel is there working in the same role. And she tells Joel she can't. The young girl is there, dead. And Joel takes her out and throws her into the pit. It's interesting to me. She's telling Joel, I can't. She doesn't know his story. He had a daughter that age. Don't you think it possibly isn't easy for him to do this either? I mean, my God. No, and I, th- I, think, I think it was effectively done seeing that he is able to just do it. It's just another thing, another job. He, we, he has trauma. He has PTSD that we oh, see clearly boy. on display later. But this is a guy that he started cold and 20 years has only made him even more frigid. Joel goes to get paid and he's getting what looks like cash script, some sort of cash equivalent for the work. Uh, mm-hmm. they, uh, clearly don't, they don't, they don't deal in Bitcoin anymore. Ration um, cards effectively. Although I guess we don't deal in Bitcoin anymore in 2023. <laughs> some so, people do apparently. So no more, no more EFTs, I guess. Um, it, it, he's asking for other work and the guy there, presumably some part of the federal government. We don't know yet what part. Mm tells him about the work the next day and Joel checks the pay. We see a little of the city. Uh, there's a little bit of commerce going on, but man, it is not much. It's like, buy like here's a one credit. You can buy like some shoelaces that look old and dingy. Mm-hmm. Um, it does seem like they're trying to do a little bit of a rebuild. They're painting over some of the, the thing that were spray painted. The, the firefly markings on the walls. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, yeah. I, okay. So maybe that's what that was, is that they were trying to cover up the firefly markings. I thought it was trying to rebuild the city, but maybe that's not it. It, it seems like this is a city in the active state of decay. Maybe we even hear about it later when you're talking with a soldier, but they've got a factory that makes things down in Atlanta. And what does it make? Bullets and pills. This is the state of the world to kill and to, and to cope. That's all they got. Yeah question for you the world does this goes to this this level of shit yeah you somehow survive i'm i am dead as a door now my friend because i'm hiding in my bedroom when some zombie man gets me <laughs> okay i'm long i'm long gone but you've survived are you gonna start doing a little joel action do you do you hit the bottle do you take the pills or or do you think you i mean just you you obviously don't know but what do you suspect you would do do you think you would retreat that way cope that way or do you think it would go the other way that some people seem to do which is super extrovert i have to just constantly be helping be of service in Uh, this in this situation i i i don't the doubling down of me would be to go super introvert go the bottle go isolate myself whatever else my assumption though is that this would be traumatic enough that i would go the opposite direction i'd become more social i'd want to be involved in more things i'd want to be doing something constantly to have meaning just because of how much of that would otherwise be removed from me. I don't think I can just cope in. I don't think, I don't think this is bad enough. I don't think I can cope internally. I think I'd have to cope externally. Yeah. I, I suspected you would too. That, that's my, my weird as it seems. I, I kind of thought be that out you'd, of be, character, you'd be but the I think person you'd be doing that. I, yeah. I, I'd be, I'd be long dead. Then Joel goes out and there is a public hanging. They are reading the crimes. And I got to tell you, um, martial law, are, the crimes are pretty fucking skimpy to be killing people. It's like <laughs> left the quarantine zone. We're going to hang you. They only have one punishment, effectively, is what we see from this scene, is that you violated any form of law. We're under martial law. The only punishment is death. They do note that the person has been tried by a military court. 
Mm-hmm. Spencer, can you tell us the difference between a military court and the court that we are all used to? Uh, in simpler terms, you have a lot less friggin' rights and protections. And particularly in the military court they mean here, it's basically a drumhead. It's literally the commanding officer that is running this particular military installation has the power of God over you, and maybe sort of once the conflict dies down, he'll be second-guessed later. And I don't think it's dying down anytime soon. So Joel goes over to one of the guards, and Joel is trading with him. So we see that this is some. Joel has a second job. Uh, he's... <laughs> He does a little bit of smuggling, trading, uh, drug dealing, as it were. Yeah. Uh, I believe Joel is giving him some pills, and the guy says, are these oxys? And he says, no, hydros. That might have not meant anything to you, Spencer. I'm guessing well, it didn't. Well, I, I, I knew it was oxycotton or hydrocortisone. Or, hy- or hydrocodone. Hydrocodone. Um, but yeah. I, I, I guess maybe the, the, the reason di- I... difference between the two means nothing to me, though. Well, oxys are, are stronger. Um, hydrocodone has a lot more um, acetaminophen in it. Um, Tylenol? But, yeah, it has more yeah. Tylenol in it. Yeah, that's that's why people end up killing themselves on these things. Not because they overdose. It's because they, they put they put so much acetaminophen Tylenol in their system, their liver craps out. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And so why it was important to me is that whoever is making these pills is making multiple types of pain relievers that are that are that, like they're not just making oxys they're also call. making hydrocodone like what is going they're there's, making there's a pharmacy going right they're now they're making an array of opioids like when you can't even get shoelaces that was shocking to me i i, I thought it was very effective with the scene of uh, the multiple pills i didn't catch that's a great catch but just i'm saying pills and bullets is all atlanta makes just it's so effective in just telling you this is what's product. This is production in the world. These are the consumer goods. This is what's left of society. I have a question about the supply chain later, but I, I'll get to that when we get there. Yeah. And the guy is giving him money and smokes. So here's what the trade seems to be: mm-hmm. um, the guy, the guard, gives him money and tinfoil wrapped cigarettes. Yeah, and he gives him pills, basically. Yes, but That's he needs a backpack. Need the backpack, and that is a that is a great little little thing to throw in, like. Plastic, plastic bags would be aren't being created. He wants the bag back. Of course he does. Yeah. Um, we, it has shifted to the point that a little Ziploc plastic bag is now can't be made anymore. Maybe forever. They're not getting reliable sources of oil, much less refining to make that happen. It would make sense. to. It also made sense to me that they wrap the smokes in tinfoil because tinfoil is, my understanding, much, is tinfoil is much, much Well, it's also much easier to create than plastic. Good point. Um, yeah. So maybe they have... More tinfoil than plastic. I don't know. Um, so they – that's when we get the line from the guard about they have a factory down in Atlanta. They make two different things, pills and bullets. Great line responding from Joel. I guess the more you shoot people, the harder it is to sleep, I guess. Fair fair summary of the situation. The guy tells him to stay off the street the next few nights. Joel, I'm telling you, stay off the street the next few nights. The fireflies have been racing hell and they are going to go on an offensive. So what we learn here in a series of scenes is that, yes, for about the last 20 years, what's left of the federal government has been in an authoritarian manner controlling things because Mm -hmm. of the crisis. And that some people have decided they'd had enough of that and they want democracy to come back and they, they want this martial law to be lifted. That is a um, very good summary of what we've seen so far. Yeah. The Firefly has been raising hell and they're going to go on the offensive. It's a good trip, um, but uh, it's a good tip. Uh, but in what we learn uh, is that the military apparatus has this problem known as the Firefly. So cut to Jess, who is dealing with some guy. So Tess. Tess. 
Yeah, T T E S S. Oh fuck! <laughs> I've put Jess, I'll, I'll help you. I've put Jess all through my notes. Oh, there's a lot. No. Oh, there's try, a lot of names to get through. But... I have to try to remember to say Tess. Okay, cut to Tess, who's dealing with some guy who I believe ripped her off for a battery. Yeah, and this guy is the worst because he rips her off for a battery and then beats her up and then holds her there and is like, "I don't know if I can let you go after ripping you off because you might get mad at me." <laughs> He's almost at the level of I want you to say it's okay that I stole from you. I yeah. want you to want you to you know say you're welcome for what happened. And I think we I think we tease out why he's doing this. It's because he's scared Tess, the shit of Joel. Tess is partner with Joel, and he's scared of Joel exactly. Yeah, um, it's effective that we hear Joel's like the boogeyman to the underworld. Like people are legitimately terrified of pissing him off. Yeah. Uh, Tess ask him what are where what else uh, what else are we going to do basically um, you know where else are we going to go they established that Jess paid them they sold it to someone else they took her money the guy's being strange about it though he's like expecting her to be more upset about it he's not understanding why she's not mad at him Tess is telling him I just want to go let's just be done with this you rip me off life goes on the guy, says doing business. guy says he's worried about her guy and Tess says he answers to me <laughs> I don't know, man. She she does. If I have to, if I have to award one person in that two unit team, the captain and the lieutenant, I'm in this episode only. I, she I, seems to be the captain. No, I want Tess to be in charge. I think Tess has a better head on her shoulders and more of a command of the situation. I think it's a mixed bag whether it's actually her in charge or not, whether it's a partnership. I more mean that just that kind of way. She says she'd like to go and drink until her face stops hurting. So are we good? I imagine. I imagine in this situation, the folks who are left, uh, the rates of addiction are, I don't know, 75% of people, 80% of people. It's post-communist Russia levels of addiction that are driving the society down. It's wildly high, I would imagine. Uh, Before you can answer, there's an explosion, and Tess is thrown back. Why is there an explosion? Well, because the thing that we just heard being explained by the guard who's buying the hydrocodone is uh is is going on and that's the what we've learned fedra which is federal disaster response authority agency Agency? federal disaster response agency is sweeping the streets and trying to crack down on all those darn pesky fireflies i I think purely in the video game this was basically meant to be a stand-in for fema they just didn't want to say fema and piss people off i'm sure that's what it is yeah yeah but i mean think about how Think about the, the the very fast restructuring that would have to occur, right? Because oh, yeah. FEMA doesn't have tanks, trucks, guns, people, money, really. Like you, you would basically have to use FEMA as a front to – so what the federal government would have to do in this situation is FEMA would start a response. And then they would have to use FEMA and funnel all of their resources into FEMA, FEMA as a front for an authoritarian dictatorship. And that's yeah. – what appears to have occurred here. It looks like at this point there is FEDRA and then whether the military is completely beholden by them or at least a cooperative agency, that's kind of all we have left to indicate the U S government has survived. I think they, I think they just funneled everything into that. And like, and, and by keeping it under the umbrella of FEDRA, they're able to continue to justify Yes. The martial law that they have. We're in an emergency disaster response situation. That's all we have right and now. It's, and, the, and, and it's only it's only the disaster response agency who's doing any of this, right? Because we're, we're just responding to a disaster. Yeah. <clears throat> what Firefly, I would imagine, is saying is you have gone way above your dictate to respond to the disaster and you are infringing upon our natural rights, which yeah. I think they are by what I can tell. 
Yeah, yeah. Marlene say later, this is about defectively democracy and having individuals participate in their own future, rather than just be executed in the streets by fucking hanging. All citizens must clear the surrounding area immediately. Do not return <laughs> until federal authorities permit. All citizens must clear the sur- You get that on free play. Going. Yeah, absolutely. She starts walking and we see some anxious music. We get some anxious music. Music. We see uh, a bunch of armed men. I believe that would be the uh, Fedra here uh, going down the street. She turns around. She sees more Fedra authorities. She goes toward them, but they push her to the ground and she yells, I am not a firefly. There is one up on that building, though, that is actively shooting. Yeah, I think and it seems like he gets got, but it seems like he gets more of the Fedra folks than get him, which is probably the numbers they need. Right. Because Fedra can pay probably a little bit better than Firefly. I imagine they have more people. I think it's also notable, too, that it was a car bomb that felt very on point for a, a primarily U.S. audience, that it was a car bomb in the street that was blowing up in the U.S. military, then responding to it and getting attacked. Yeah, it's like just one level above a rag and a Stoli bottle. Like, yeah. that's basically what we're dealing with here. It's got to a young adult, um, a, a young adult aged girl. Well, Spencer really likes when you use that phrase, young adult, to describe people. <sighs> means nothing. She's... <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's interesting. He thinks it's a nonsensical term, well, which it kind of is. She's about 14, maybe 15. Well, let's debate this. The actress, Bella Ramsey. Great to see our lady Mormont once again, by the way. Um, Bear Island has one king. And his name is Stark. Um, but uh, she's 19. The character in the video game is 14. Now, this actress can play 14, I think, pretty convincingly. Do you think that she is here on the show? Yes. Yeah. Bella Ramsey, Bella Ramsey might, like, I don't, we'll never know. Hopefully we never know because it would be a personal health situation, but there are a lot of like, um, conditions that people have that make them appear young for a long period of time. I, I, I knew someone like this. Gary Um, Coleman kind of situation. Not quite to that extreme, but yeah, kind of in that same vein where they'll just like look about five years younger than they are until they become, I don't know, 30. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a that's a thing that people have. I think Bella Ramsey might have something like that because she very much does look much younger than her age um, to a point that it doesn't seem like she looks a little young. Like it's it's kind of like a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, to me, she she very much passes as a 14 year old. What about you? I, I think I think it's perfect. I think they cast a perfect actress for the role because the character needs to be snarky, kind of vulgar, kind of mature, um, while at the same time still being young. And I think Bella Ramsey, excellent actress can bring that along with the physical presence of the character quite well in a way that a lot of people might struggle with if they actually did like, you know, normal Dawson casting of where it's, hey, this obviously 25-year-old is 14. We don't have that problem here. I mean, obviously they cast, her audition tape is telling the Glovers to fuck themselves, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Because that's exactly what you need. Or, or stabbing, a, stabbing a giant in the eye. That too. That's great. A woman asks the younger to count slowly from 10. She does. Until she gets to eight, and then she finishes with eight, fuck you. Mm -hmm. She announces her name is Veronica, the same as before, the day before, and the day before. She says people are coming to look for her. Uh, Let me out of here. You're going to pay, motherfuckers. I'm not supposed to be here. So right Mm -hmm. away we figure out that she's kind of a... She's got rage. She's definitely fiery. Got some rage, and she doesn't mind throwing the F word around. Cuts to a uh, long line of people waiting, um, and this is really sad. Uh, they're writing things down on notepads. It's old looking paper because they probably don't have paper mills anymore. Um, and we see one guy with his hands all mangled and Joel walks in and it seems like this is a radio broadcast and people are going in and they're sending out messages for loved ones. Is that what you took in? Yeah, that's very much what I got here of where they're as far, as far as they know and likely as they probably even believe they're just putting it out in the ether, but they just feel compelled because otherwise they're alone in the world. Yeah. 
Yeah. This is Spencer, who's now the mayor of Quarantine Boston. Uh, is is there a, a Lee out there? A Lee somewhere? <laughs> this is me doing the podcast intro, sadly, just hoping that you'll jump in. This is this is what I'll be doing throughout the pandemic. <laughs> Man, it is it is a pretty sad thing that, that we're seeing here. Uh, but Joel cuts the line and um, sits down, gives the guys the smoke, the smokes. So the smokes mm-hmm. were for this guy. So he's he's doing a, a lot, of, a lot of trading. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the guy just shakes his head at Joel. Joel asks if there's any chance it came in at night. The guy says no. He says when he's sleeping, Gabriella, assuming it's his partner, listens, uh, or his son, the smart one listens, the smart son. That's important. Uh, so then we find out that Joel is looking for his brother, who has previously never taken more than one day to respond. So here's what I'm picking up from the situation. Tell me if I'm anywhere in the ballpark, Spencer. Uh, Tommy, very much alive, or at least was, and left to go to a different part of the country. And Joel has been communicating with him through some sort of system, and he stopped responding. Yeah. And now yeah. Joel is leaning on this radio broadcaster to try to find his brother. Yeah, we, we have effectively three data points to focus on from this episode. And that's all I'm going to focus on, is that Tommy has left, and Joel's looking for him, that the last linking tower that they had was in Wyoming, which says that Tommy has gone really fucking far if that's the linking tower. That they're How the from fuck here. does he get to Wyoming in this situation? They can't, I mean, for the life of this city, they can't get one car battery. Yeah. I, having played Oregon Trail and died thousands of times trying to cross that country without zombies, dear Christ. Um, but apparently he's out there. And also important point that I think a lot of people missed when he's talking with Marlene, the leader of the Fireflies later, he accuses her of stealing his brother. Yes, I did catch that. And she goes, okay, Joel. Three, so um, three data points to keep track of there for what we know about what Tommy is. I think, yeah, I think Tommy's been conscripted in the Fireflies is what I think has happened here. Which are, based at least at that point, maybe sort of na- a semi-national, or at least Tommy's playing some national role here. I don't know. If I was still alive, I'd probably be with the Fireflies, because <clears throat> it does seem like while the federal government did have a very important, extremely important role in the immediate response, 20 years later to still be in this sort of police state, to me, even if you have to have these massive quarantine areas, is excessive on a like personal liberties front. So, so this is how it's actually going to play out. We're both going to survive, but I'm going to be General Chief Inquisitor of Boston, and you're going to be leader of the Fireflies. Instead. Maybe this is I, the I'm, Civil I was, War moment. I was very sympathetic when I saw how the city was being run, especially the people, you know, not being able to leave quarantine um, through threat threat of death. Uh, the only employment that is anywhere is the federal government. I mean, this is. To me, it's a, it's a massive overreach. Um, so the, uh, then um, Joel pulls out a map and asks the guy, where's the tower he's communicating with in effect, effectively, right? That seems mm-hmm. like what he's asking. Um, it's in Wyoming, apparently, which Spencer mentioned earlier. The guy said, thinks it's a real bad idea for Joel to go. He says, hey, Joel, mm-hmm. you're, capable, you're a capable guy, but this is a really bad idea. He says there are worse things than infected out there. Raiders, slavers. That's a, I loved that line because when he yeah. says, when he says there's worse thing than infected out there, I think bullshit, no way. But then he says the word slavers now. And he trails off to like other ones he wants to say. Being human trafficked basically and becoming a slave would be worse than just getting this disease for me, I would think. Uh, I, and particularly so, yeah, in this setting right. too. Cause yeah. Not like they have much from the way of rights and protections in the present world, dear Christ, but being trafficked in this world, we're reaching a whole new level. It's going to be harsher, for sure, or at least um, on the median, in the, in the median, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel says, but you're you're sure Tommy's okay? And the guy 
tells him where the tower is basically uh that which is in effect no i i don't know and and joel leaves in a huff joel goes into a uh, house and then goes into what looks like an apartment i suppose uh his apartment one thing is clear okay um these folks are having such a hard time staying alive there is absolutely no place for aesthetics or feng shui Mm-hmm. There is like, and I, this is not realistic for me because I, I, I would, it would help me mentally mm-hmm. to not break to, if we had a crappy little tablecloth to put it out like that, Fair. those little things for me, like help me stay sane in a day. And, and, and I would, I would probably default back to that. I would probably be sweeping the floor of this place as stupid as that may sound, that would keep me sane. It's kind of surprising to me that they don't keep a little bit more of a, I guess, nicer place, I, I guess. I mean, this is the kind of conditions of where I think it would just swing so hard for one extreme or the other. I don't think there's just going to be a place that's just fine, other than maybe like the government center. I think it's going to be utter just piles of shit or somebody that is just sweeping away the dust that never stops falling. Kind yeah. of extremes of the situation. Yeah, Joel opens up a spot in the floor and pulls out an atlas, which he clearly stores under the floorboards to hide. We see his bed, which is on cinder blocks. Then we see Joel drink and drink and drink and then take pills. I found, um, the, I found the fact that he was hiding an atlas all the more dystopian because it's almost like that's illegal to have one. Or like if he if that was caught on him, there'd be an assumption of criminality. Sure, because you're not allowed to leave quarantine. So okay. if why why would you why do you need an atlas, Joel? Like you, you can see you can see the questioning, right? Yeah. Um, he takes like five or six pills though, and that you know like it seems like a lot. Well, it's not. It's not. I mean, it depends on what stage addict you are. Um, it you know for you like being like a normal sober guy, you know one or two hydrocodone would would put you out. Obviously, that's what they would give you if you had major, major surgery. Mm-hmm. He's taking five or six. Probably has some background here though. Yeah, what that what tells me what that tells me is that he's been on these for a while because these pills they they lose um, efficacy the longer you're on them, so mm-hmm. you need more and more to get the same effect. Um, and so what'll end up happening to Joel if if they go this route of him being dependent on the pills is that he needs to take five or six tonight, and in two months from now he'll need to take twelve or fifteen, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it'll just get worse and worse. Um, so uh, he still has the one thing we see right before he falls into bed is that he still has on the watch, the one his daughter got fixed for him in 2003. And by God, Spencer, heartbreaking enough, it looks like the watch got shot. And while and that and we know that the daughter got shot and he had the daughter in his arms. So it looks like maybe right a, sh- there. a stray bullet. Yeah, got to the watch. Oh, my God, that's tough. He wakes up from a dream about his brother. Um, Jess walks in and gets in the bed with him. And it's clear there are at least somewhat... <laughs> I'm going to accept her name as Jess going forward. But Tess, 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 Tess. Sorry. Tell me, tell me. Tell me. I got to stop it. Uh, Tess walks in and gets down in bed with him. And it's clear they are at least somewhat romantic. They're not like, they're not like uh, banging the knocking boots this whole episode. But like, she does at least rub him in a way. I think they wanted to give you like a quick, like they're partners, but like romance isn't like the number one thing in their life. I think that's perfectly summarized for what this, what what we're seeing here is that they have an item, but that's not that doesn't that doesn't encapsulate who they are. She gets up in the morning and uh, he gets up in the morning and, and she's already up and, and she's made some coffee. It looks like uh, question for you in the supply chain about coffee, coffee, <laughs> bean, coffee <laughs> beans are not grown domestically, uh, not grown in America. They'd have to be imported from South America or Africa. How the fuck are these people getting coffee? Uh, my, my best bet, because I agree, coffee would be one of the first fucking things that would run out in fucking Boston. Uh, 
A, they're smugglers, so they would have better access than anybody probably for whatever supply still exists. B, it may not be coffee. It may be some kind of tea of some some shape or form, despite it looking vaguely coffee-ish. Or C, it's just unrealistic as shit. My headcanon is it's going to be some sort of like tea from a tea leaf that can be grown in like pots some kind of like root tea kind of thing almost medicinal yeah there you go um he sees her face and he gets worked up and she starts in with the story about getting jumped by a group of teenagers she brings up that these were teenagers born after the outbreak she mentions that they don't know how to talk things through they just start swinging i think this is an important little this, this is not a throwaway line what she's saying is that the children who know nothing but this world have grown up in such chaos that they have absolutely no ability to deal um, or to cope. Like it, it's apparently a characteristic of children who's grown up in this, that they lash out, that they're angry. And that jives with what we see with our main character, Veronica or Elle. Mm. Ellie. Ellie. Uh, qu- question of just odd old movies. Have you ever seen the British movie Threads before? No. It's a British post-apocalyptic film. Uh, that heavily goes into what children would be like in a world after a nuclear apocalypse. Hmm. And it focuses on the idea that those born after are not normal and are not okay, because why the hell would they be? Though that adds the radiation element on there, too. It would make perfect sense that these children would be quick to anger and Mm -hmm. would be uh, just highly, highly emotional with no coping mechanisms. Um, So she mentions that they don't... um, Sorry, uh... He uh, comes over to start tending to her wounds, and he notices mm-hmm. they aren't really new. She then explains that she was actually in Fedra, lock up all day. Josh says, or uh, Tess says, it doesn't matter, and tells him that she needs him to, to take a breath. Mm-hmm. So now she's going to tell him the truth. She explains that the guys who jumped her were Robert. They sold the battery to someone else. This clearly upsets Joel, but she starts managing him. She's clearly used to managing his anger and his, and his you know, aggression. And, it, you know, it seems like it's a, it's different because it's around anger, but this is kind of what his daughter was doing, right? Managing him. Like, it seems mm-hmm. like people around Joel have to manage him. He seems like he can excel in a lot of areas, but it seems like very basic things like hearing, you know, some bad news or, I don't know, fixing your shit, uh, stuff he's not capable of doing. I, I also refer to his aggression and anger. I'd also say protectiveness too probably plays a role as where because it seems clear that Tess is now his family at least as much as he's able to maintain that still oh for sure yeah um Joel frustrated says that without the battery the truck is no good and he needs to get to Tommy soon so this is the plan to get a truck battery to get to Tommy mm-hmm. how is he going to have enough fuel to get from Boston to Wyoming <laughs> find a gas station siphon it things and stuff okay because uh, he's going to die out there. Uh, Tess says, fine, they'll go get their cards, money, mm-hmm. back in the battery. But Robert is terrified of Joel. But if Joel marches out of there all Clint East, what, he's going to skip town. He's going to go under underground. You're not going to see him. So she needs him to take a breath. She says they don't know who sold them the battery or Rob, where Robert is yet, but they are going to find out quietly, presumably to not scare Robert off. Mm-hmm. She says, now I promised, this is a quote, now I promised Robert you wouldn't hurt him, but I would very much like for you to hurt him. <laughs> so let's go hunt that motherfucker down and get our battery and truck and hopefully Tommy, all right? Joel begins to take some of the guns out of the floorboards. I love that line, love that scene. 
Me too. Um, I like Tess a lot. Tess is a winner. Um, she, is a, we, he, we talked about people you want with you in the apocalypse. I'm putting Tess in, in front in front of Joel in terms of he, people I want on my side. Yeah, he picked a great partner because uh, it seems to me that he he didn't ha- he wasn't dating Tess before this. So he probably no. started dating in the apocalypse, and that's a that's an interesting Match.com profile, right? It's like, what, well, what can you do? Well, I can siphon gas with a uh, McDonald's drinking straw, and I uh, I can. Uh, I can tend wounds and I mm-hmm. can uh, I can kill infected fungi people with my bare hands. How about you? I, I can make coffee in the apocalypse and you're not going to ask whether it's actually coffee or not. <laughs> you would have a line of suitors around the door. If you I'm here to market right here. <laughs> Cut to a woman walking in a hallway. She goes into a room with three people. The lady is Marlene and she is the leader of the Fireflies. Uh, one, I'm not going to do this as much going forward, but this, this just amused me. Uh, the actress who plays her is Merle Dambridge, uh, and she is the voice actress of this character in the game. So oh, I, I love that. They, so they did the same thing with um, Bo-Katan in Star Wars, right? Like the Very true. Rosario yeah. Dawson. Um, or no, no, no. That, no, no. Bo, Bo, uh, no, no, sorry. No, no, no. Um, uh, it's uh, Katie Sackhoff. Katie there Sackhoff. you go. There you go. Yep. Confused my Star Wars characters. But yes, that was great that they did it too. I, I like when they bring voice actors into the roles. That's a lot of fun. Uh, I also quite like her voice actress, Alex Ants for the win. Yeah, completely agree with you. Um, so, oh, man, she's asking one of the people in the room if they've put people in place. She's basically saying, have you put people where I ordered them to go? The woman says, no. She has some questions. She's like, oh, you got questions. So she basically wants to know, why are we blowing up meaningless Fedra targets and working overtime to do it? And in her opinion, doing nothing. She wants to know what the point of all this is, Marlene. My answer is to follow fucking orders, which I would think is probably pretty important in a understaffed, under-resourced paramilitary operation. One would hope, but they are—they are a group that is, you know, actively conspiring against what would, could be dubbed the forces of order. So they may draw people that are a bit resistant to that too. Yeah, the the woman then goes on uh, about the fact that they have a girl chained up in a room, and Marlene won't tell them anything about her. Our people are asking questions, and I don't know what to tell them, Marlene. Tell them to follow fucking orders. She's very, very into this, which is, you know, it's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, she sends the two other people uh, out to Southeast 3, which is apparently where they should have been the whole time. She then gets the woman, Kim, one-on-one, and says that they are in a war against a military dictatorship to restore freedom and democracy. Marlene points, makes the point that they are not beating Fedra. They aren't beating them anywhere, in Boston, here, anywhere. You fight for 20 years, you get nowhere, you're not a rebellion, you're just spray paint, potential line of the episode. Mm-hmm. Bold that in your notes, Lee, bold it in your notes. It'll come up later in the episode. Uh, she explains they aren't hitting Fedra all over the QC. She shows her on the map where they're going to hit them. Marlene explains she wants Fedra everywhere but where they are. She wants them distracted as possible because tonight every Firefly in Boston is going to come into this building and help them leave QZ permanently, presumably transporting the girl who is chained to the wall in the other room. She explains they aren't quitting. They are taking that random girl locked in the room west from our guy in the radio town in Salem. God, are they going far across the country too? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, Kim asks if it's real. Marlene says, uh, so she, so when she says from our guy in the radio town in Salem, she hands a piece of paper over to Kim. Kim reads it and says, is this real? Marlene says, I believe it. Keep it quiet. So um, we don't know what that is. A little bit don't, of a... Don't know. 
Got a little bit of a hanging plot thread there for us to all chew on between episodes. Kim says, whatever you need to get her where she needs to go. So whatever's on that piece of paper flipped Kim very quickly to the idea that this person that they have, played by our little Lord Mormont, is the most important asset that the Fireflies have. Did you have suspicions? No, not yeah. I, don't, I had no idea what this was. It makes sense now because it did, they did give us the clue of they're constantly testing her mm-hmm. for her mental faculties. But no, at this point, I had no idea. Gotcha. Dude, when you're coming into this thing as cold as I was, I'm playing – you're playing – like at least for my mental capabilities, which is not yours. Like I'm, yeah, playing, yeah, yeah. I'm playing a lot of like just character catch-up. Like <laughs> they're throwing a lot of characters at – right? Because in this situation, I'm, I'm meeting Marlene for the first time. I'm meeting Kim for the first time. Like I'm still trying to figure out if they're connected to the girl chain to the – because they haven't – because think about it. They haven't yet shown us Marlene with – Veronica, who is still no. Veronica at this point. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 a it's well, pretty early on, I think, uh, well, for us for us complete newbies. But I am with you that they have given us some threads. Like hell that I pick up the threads at this point in the video game as to what the hell the importance of Ellie, I suppose, was. Yeah. Cut to Joel. Uh, he's watching Tess talk to a guy at some sort hey. of bar. Uh, looks like what bars are now is I've got a couple kegs and some chairs. And. What, 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 when I say beer, I mean it was made in that bathtub over there. It looks like kegs. Did you see it? it I don't. I don't guarantee it's beer inside it. I, I, I bet it is. Beer's not that complicated to make. I, I think okay. they. I think they probably are still making beer. That would be my guess. Beer. Beer's pretty simple to make, and it, it's not not too difficult to get into a keg. Um, I would think that'd be one of the last things to go, especially if they're still making oxys. If there's still, if, P, if there's such a need for oxycontin in this society, uh, I'm guessing there's still a beer demand. You got to have something to wash down the oxy with. Got to now. Have now, if you're getting now, if you're out there getting gin, uh, I think we're back to the 20s here. I think you're getting bathtub gin. That's my guess. <laughs> some guy walks up to her, and um, some guy walks up to Joel uh, and says. Uh, if you're feeling lost, Joel cuts him right the fuck off and says, if you tell me to look for the light, I'll break your jaw. The guy walks off. Very interesting interaction that seems apropos of nothing. My theory is it's connected to Joel's resentment of the Fireflies because Tommy was taken, from him. taken quote, taken from them. When in really, really what probably happened is they probably just came to Tommy and said, do you want to join us? And Tommy probably said, yeah, but I bet what Joel is cooked up in his mind is that they brainwashed him or something well that's my guess they did the most offensive thing you can possibly do to joel that he'll never be able to forget or forgive they took his family yeah um but my but what i'm saying is my guess is that they well he wasn't taken because like i think because i think the fireflies have a really good point here and i think that tommy probably because what we saw, only the only data point we have of Tommy is that he's willing to go to jail to like save some random waitress in a bar on a Friday night. Like it would definitely track to me that he would want to take care of the citizens in a way if he thinks that they're being repressed or, or you know taken advantage of. I think that's an excellent summary from what we have so far. Uh, so Jess comes back and says it will cost him a couple cards, but apparently Robert is taking the battery to a red flagged building but get this corner of stillman and cross which is apparently the one miguel used to use tess not just tess cooks up a plan to take the subway tunnel to get into the building from below i think all of this all of this this jibber jabber from tess is -hmm. just her explaining hey man we can get into that building from up under it yeah we know how to do that 
they're going to try to get in, sneak in, surprise them, get back their stuff with hopefully the least amount of violence and risk possible. Right. So cut to Veronica. Still Veronica at this point. And mm-hmm. she's trying to break her chains. But in the process, the, the leak hits, uh, some leak hits her in the head. She screams and cusses. So they, they take a, a lot of pains this episode to show that her first reaction to everything is anger. Everything. It, it, it's anger and vulgarity. She, yeah. she, she, her, her, Fucking motherfucker. Yeah, that's the first thing out of her mouth. A solid third of her sentences includes some kind of curse in there, usually fuck. Marlene throws her a book bag and she pulls the knife out first. She just searches yeah. through this fucking book bag to find the knife, tosses the book bag, and just sits there with the knife like, oh, my precious, my precious. My precious. <laughs> Marlene sits down next Very to her. that. <laughs> Close enough. And Veronica could get her with it if, if she wanted. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, she's close enough now. She could, have, she could have jabbed her with that knife, but they start to chat. Marlene it, says, maybe they can start with a thank you. She was the one that told them not to shoot her. She says, why did you stop them? Marlene says, we'll get to that. Did you have anything on this? Well, I think it's notable. You highlight something very important there. We've heard that people that were born since the apocalypse, their violence is their first response to anything, whether it's logical or not. Ellie, as you said, has been aggressive. She's been vulgar, whatever else. She's still treasuring this knife, but she doesn't go for the stab. Person sitting right there, stabbing is perfect opportunity, but she doesn't. Whatever her, you know, immediate anger regression that she responds to the situation, there is still a logical mind that's controlling action here. Yep, you got it. That's exactly how, that's why I was making the point. Yeah. Because I, I feel like it's represented here in L, uh, Ellie. Yeah. Uh, who's Veronica. Um, they start to chat. Um, and uh, Marlene leans over to Under the Janes. She says, so Veronica, how you feeling? She says the same. She says, um, is it going to happen? Marlene says, no. Uh, v asks if she can go. Marlene says no. Says, Where are you going to go? Back to Fedra Military School. V counters that she didn't choose that fucking place. They put they put her there. Marlene questions they and says I put you there, Ellie. Now we have a real name. We'll stop calling her Veronica. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we know her real names. Uh, L and L says, "Are you my fucking mom or something?" Wonderful line from Marlene who says, "Do I look like your mom?" <laughs> little, little racial humor there for yep. all of us in 2023. No, no race blind casting here with respect to familiar relationships. No, they call it out right there. A, a very funny reaction to because what's interesting to me is this actress Bella Ramsey mm-hmm. does anger so well. I think she's been cast for anger. I think yeah. that the anger that she has shown in previous roles, she's cast for anger, right? But when she is allowed to be kind of funny, she's extremely funny. Uh, she's got great timing. She, I, I, wait, wait, no, she... you do not. <laughs> she plays it off well. Marlene explains she's the leader of the Fireflies in the Boston QZ. Uh, Ellie wants to know why terrorists would dump her with Fedra. Marlene begins to explain that that is where she'd be the safest and until you decide to escape, that is. And uh, what, what is it, a terrorist? Was Riley a terrorist? So now there's a character named Riley in their shared history who apparently was working with the Fireflies that Ellie liked in some capacity because Ellie immediately looks up and says no. Mild suggestion. If you're doing like, you know, a memento board of little notes here or, you know, um, maybe just like underline Riley and just remember that one for later. Okay. Thank you. That's that's Spencer helping the audience out there. Riley, important. We need to remember that name. She didn't get serious. Changes tones. Almost looks like she's about to tear up and she says, why won't you let me go home? Marlena says, because you have a greater purpose than any of us could ever imagine. Now that is where I started to go. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. 
she might have something to do with the the fungus, right? Because that, you would not use that. Like the the singular most important thing affecting the society is the fungus. Like yes, yep. yes, the fireflies are fighting for their freedom and independence. I probably would be too in the society, and that is important. But the mo- most important thing facing them is this fucking fungus. And to say something so on the surface hyperbolic, right? Greater purpose than any of us could ever imagine. To me, it had to be related to the fungus. Mm-hmm. She says they're leaving tonight, taking her with them. Marlena leans over and says, what I'm about to tell you cannot be repeated to anyone because if you do, I assure you, you will die. And then we get a cutaway. Damn it! A cutaway. <laughs> Sorry, sir. Not going to find out for now. Yeah. So my question for you, like when you're watching this, like, you know, you know where this is going enough that this cutaway is not, you're not hanging on this cutaway, right? Because you know well, what all this is. I mean, this scene doesn't happen because the game is forced perspective. So we don't get to see this scene play out in this particular way in shape or form, at least not in the first game. Um, but I know what, I can reasonably assume what she's going to tell her from playing the game. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, all right. I got you. You, 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 you play as like Joel's daughter for like the opening part of the game, but otherwise you're pretty much just playing as Joel throughout all of this. So can we, can we do a, a game here with us where, if there's a some sort of plot hanging or thread or something that you wouldn't know from the video game, can you point that out? Yes. Like say say I'm with you on that. Like just jump in and say I'm with you on this. We we don't know this either. Like because I assume that you guys know all of the what's coming, but I'm I imagine that's going to be wrong at some point. At some point I'm, you might not know. I'm going to give you an example. We're going to see here in like eight seconds. So you're describing cool. it of Great. where is a massive change from the show. And it's going to be an ongoing issue that I'm going to need to adjust it. Hmm, okay. Cut to Tess and Joel. For the show, be, for the looks show. like they are breaking in somewhere and they go walking down a stairwell and then into a subway tunnel. And Jess finds the door they are supposed to go to. Uh, and, and she goes up into it. She goes in there. She sees a person who was a person completely fungicide up. Oh, God. Ew. Ugh. It's appalling. It is utterly horrific. It is body horror to the most extreme. Uh, this is the moment. This is a change that they've already announced in newspapers even before the show came out. So it's in not newspapers? They printed it, it in the newspaper? In the papers? They actually carved it into uh, stone. It was released on papyrus. Yes, Carrier they did. Pigeon. Got it. Uh, Spencer down t- in Florida. T- telegraphed. I had to relearn Morse code. Um, they, in the book, in the video game, a key part of the life cycle of the fungus is that it spores. It releases aerial spores that go through the air, and that's actually the primary means of infection, is that if you get the spores in you, it then grows in you, and a couple days later... So you would breathe it into your lungs, the lungs, the, the spores would grow in your lungs, and bam. So so significant portion of the lore, portion of the lore and a significant portion of the game, people are walking around with gas masks on at all times because aerial spores are out there, about, particularly in heavy concentrations underground or in buildings. Professor? Yes, sir. Let me guess. They didn't want to have their protagonist wearing fucking gas masks the entire show. so they Ding, ding, that. ding, ding, ding. Well done, sir. A plus for you. That's the main reason. The other reason is also perfectly fair, too, is that the... This shows a partnership between the guy who did Chernobyl and also the lead writer and director of the actual, you know, game itself. Uh, and they asked him, you know, why did you guys make this right? His name, his name is Neil Druckmann. And he said, well, you know, we didn't want the actors to be covering their faces all the time and interfere with dialogue, interfere with recognizing them. You can yeah, get away with that Pedro Pascal has absolutely no experience covering his face all the time. <laughs> and still being able to act whatever else, which is fine. I get it. They're comfortable with that. It works in the game because it's forced perspective anyway. You're always just following one character around. 
The other thing they pointed out is perfectly fair that it was de- designed that way to be intimidating, to be body horror, to be very tense, sure. to have different gameplay elements. But if the fungus is actually putting spores in the air, you'd never not wear a gas mask. You'd always just wear a gas mask. You'd never take it off because they're in the air. They're not just, you don't have to wear it when you're going into a building or when you see spores visibly. If it's putting spores in the air, humanity's fucked. So they thought from a realism standpoint, they had to dial that back because otherwise people would have to suspend disbelief too much on the show. That's at least their conclusion. So the fact they run into this thing and don't freak out and put gas masks on is a big change, but it's reflective of how they've changed how the fungus works to now it actually has to physically get in you like a growing tuber or rhizome rather than aerial spores. I will say that, so from a completely like super casual, know nothing about this, right? When you started that explanation that the spores can go into the air and you breathe them into your lungs, my first thought was zero chance humanity would be left after 20 years. I know. I know. It, it, it is a bit of a gamey thing that effectively the spores only Maybe. operate, only yeah. work in damp conditions. They only are, it's only really a danger underground, but it's a gameplay element rather than reality. So I understand they made the change. Still, the primary reason is they want to recognize the actors, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, so they keep uh they keep going past this fungicide up thing so what it appears happens is that when the fungus starts to take over your body it actually starts to break down oh, uh, yeah. your your body matter and then you actually just sort of dissolve into a wall into a floor into a whatever uh pretty good have, have you seen the ant fungus that this thing is based on no uh look i'll i'll here, I'll, I'll chat it to you here in a second but it's Ophiocordyceps unilateralis is one example of it. It's nicknamed the zombie ant fungus, of where eventually, after it fully controls their minds, whatever else, it makes the ant climb to the top of, like, plants, bite in, and then the ant just blooms and releases spores everywhere to infect other ants. That's where that's what they're basing this kind of fungus on, and this is what we're effectively seeing with that. He's in the bloom stage right now on this wall. Yeah, I mean, I do think that with some of this stuff, that there are things that if they happened, like we would just go away. Like we lose. Like yeah, and like like that is as crazy as this. I'm I'm about to say something that's going to sound absolutely batshit. Sure, but that that might be okay, right? Like I, mean, I know it sucks that all of us are going to die in this thing, right? But like that's kind of the ebb and flow of the universe. Like humans aren't going to be here for fucking ever. And if one of these things happens. It might just be game over, right? Can, like, and, and and it just might be it. And like, can, okay, keep, keep pondering that mindset as we go through the story. Um, from a purely visual standpoint, have you ever seen the Natalie Portman film Annihilation? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, ugh. It, it's it's not great, but it's visually stark. at sometimes that image of that guy growing like the fungus on the wall reminds yeah. me of a scene in the, like the pool. I think in that film. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Um, so Jess opens the door. Uh, well, as they're walking, uh, Joel starts commenting about the building and con- the construction of it. And she jokes, this has been construction corner with Joel Miller. So Man they, are, construction. they are capable of some fun banter, even though yeah. they're pretty serious people at this point. Tess opens the door. I've seen a trickle of blood and we see a hallway full of people who've been shot. Holy shit. Bang, bang, shoot them up. Okay. Corral situation has gone on in this hallway. She sees the battery, sees it's no good. And comments, the battery is no good, but the guy, Robert, still tried to sell it twice, you greedy fuck. He is a greedy fuck. R.I.P. Robert. Notable, too, that uh, they know there's violence purely by the smell before they walk in the room, because they can smell the gunpowder and cordite. It's like, 
Oh, these wow. guys, the, the, these guys have Joel's life experience has changed a lot in twenty years. Yeah, he can he can smell a shootout. You yeah you you've seen some shit at that point. They hear something and uh, walk toward it. Then we see Marlene, uh, who's been shot. She's been helped by Kim. Get up and get going. Ellie jumps out of the door with a knife, but Joel sends her flying. Very funny sequence. This is how they, these two characters get introduced to each other. From a visual comedy standpoint, I was laughing my ass off. He just lands her with one arm straight into a wall. Jump at you like a spider monkey. That's kind of the definition of it, right? She just Very flies much. at him. Uh, it's, it is funny to me because like we, you can tell by promotional material and just talking to people that these two characters are going to know each other and be close. Mm. It's funny that their first interaction is she's trying to kill him. That's pretty funny. Um, uh, she, he sent, Joel sends her flying and steps on the knife. Uh, Joel and Marlene come face to face, both with guns, but they clearly know each other. That's a little bit of a hiccup in the plot, right? That's a little Mm -hmm. surprise. Um, Ellie tries to get the knife back, but Joel keeps his foot on it. Um, and she calls him an asshole. Uh, Marlene tells Ellie she'll be okay, despite being shot. Um, which is interesting because it seems like Ellie is not... I would not describe her as a warm young girl, but she does seem to care about Marlene at this point. She does, which is interesting because she was like threatening them, whatever else, but I'm, it is interesting to unpack and ponder to what degree they have a history beyond just simply her captivity. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, um, so she says she's good. Um, she's being helped by Kim. Ellie jumps, uh, that's uh, past that. Um, so Jess asks if this is who Robert screwed them over with. Mm-hmm. The Che Guevara of Boston? Your war must be going pretty <laughs> shitty for you to be buying from scumbags like him. Boy, she, Tess, boy, she got a, she's got a line for you, doesn't she? I, I, I love Marlene's just very... Marlene's been shot. She's not in the mood to just banter or just lie. She's like, yeah, kind of has been. Just, yeah, she yeah, does. She obviously, very quickly, yeah, everyone's yeah, dead. Yeah, it's not been so great. She explains the merch was bad and they obviously didn't. Um, take fuck off for an answer. Um, so I guess they kind of the same situation that they had dealt with, right? Like mm-hmm. the, Robert was robbing them, but then w- I guess would refuse to leave. Like wouldn't so, somebody pulled a gun? Yeah, wouldn't he? He's the worst fucking. He, yeah. he really is bad at pulling a heist. He what pulls a heist. Now? He pulls a heist on you. It all works, and then he sits you down in a chair and he goes, "Now tell me how you felt about that." Yeah, how would you score this heist from 1 to 10? What a dipshit. Uh, she tries to get the knife back again. This happens a lot. She keeps reaching for the knife and Joel keeps putting it down. And, he, you know, Pedro Pascal has a super funny look when she grabs for it at one point. Like, he gives her a, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, it's like, I said no. It's, 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 a, it's really it's, funny. It's almost like if he had a rolled up newspaper, he'd be hitting her in the nose with it now. It's like, down, down, down. Yeah, um, but Joel does point the gun at her at one point, which caused Marlena to go to a 10 very fast. She says, do not point the gun at her, point it at me, not her. Point I at adore that line and I adore that scene of where I love that she, she even says, it doesn't just say, don't point the gun at her. It's like, over me. here. Point Let's, you're talking to me right now. You're focused on me. She's, don't, we're not talking about her right now. Yep. Marlene then says they need the battery more than he did. No offense, but Tommy's just one man. It's our business to know things. Joel doesn't like the term know things, but I suspect what he really doesn't like is this concept that she needed the car battery more than he did. Mm-hmm. He says, you're the cause of it. You turned my brother against me. And she just says, okay, Joel. Almost like they've had this argument a hundred like, times. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to offer a fan theory. This is just a purely show fan theory. 
and I think it's just purely based on appearances, but there is a lot of people online, or at least a few people online, they're saying, oh, she looks like Joel's daughter if you mixed Joel and her together. Is this the divorced mom? Very well could be. I, I will say nothing. Yeah, that, that's um, that's a that's a reasonable sort of theory at this point. Although one that one one problem this theory has is a problem we run into with a lot of early theory crafting, which is that <clears throat> everyone who ever runs across each other in trails have to be related and have a backstory. You know, yeah. like <laughs> maybe they're just two different people, right? They, that's probably the most. What, what we know is they know each other. Almost seems like they've done business together to a certain degree. But wouldn't it be more realistic that he knows her through Tommy's recruiting efforts? Yes, but let people have their theories, sir. I do, I do like the theory. Sorry to start shooting holes in it right away. I do like it. Um, so uh, Kim points out that there's a lot of gunfire and Fedra is going to be on their way soon. Apparently, if there's gunfire, Fedra will be on the way. Marlene then says that they are going to move Ellie out of the zone that evening, but they won't make it anywhere like this <laughs> with everyone dead and me shot. Not for a while, anyway. So now I'm thinking you're going to do it. Joel says, so when she says, now I'm thinking you're going to do it, this all happens at the same time. Joel says, to hell we are. Ellie says, I'm not going with them. And Kim says, let me take her. Mm -hmm. All three at the same time. Yeah. Joel says, they don't have the time for this, but Jess goes into it. Ask who she is. Tess. Tess goes into it. Ask who she is. Marlene says that uh, she's just cargo to them. Yeah. Kim... Yeah, she's like, to you, she's just cargo. And we, we, Joel's like, I don't smuggle people. It's like, it's almost like he has either ethical rules or just practical rules about smuggling people is not a great business. Meanwhile, I think it's the latter. I think yeah. it's the practical implications I, I, of trying to do it. I'm with you. Meanwhile, my fu- for me, the funniest line of the episode, Kim is still trying to say that she can do it. What does Marlene say to her? Kim, you don't have a fucking ear on your fucking head. Could you please? It seems to work too. Kim backs off. I don't know if Kim. I don't know if Kim realized that she was missing an ear until until Marlene pointed it out. I thought she was missing two. Did you see both sides of her? Oh, I only noticed one. That's why the line was so good. Is that she literally doesn't have an ear on her fucking god? Uh, Marlene explains that there are a team of fireflies waiting for Ellie at the old state house. So the old state house, that would be. Presumably, presumably right outside of Boston. It would need to be because. The, that Boston is the capital of Massachusetts. And the state, how old state house would be where they held state government in Massachusetts. It's located on Beacon Hill neighborhood of Boston, the class, the old classic Massachusetts state house. Yeah. So it would be, it would be right outside of the quarantines, but basically like 10 miles, let's say. She explains that she, she Not knows far. there is danger out there. That's why she was going with a squadron, but now she doesn't have a squadron or a truck or really anything. And Fedra is close. But what she does have is Joel and Tess. Who? And I, <clears throat> and have she a reputation. Says this line, I know what you're both capable of, for better or worse. Hilarious line from Ellie. What are they capable of? <laughs> I, I love Ellie's curiosity. It's what like are she's capable of? She she responds adulty or most aggressively in a lot of situations. She also has almost a very, a very childlike mentality going into, ooh, there's a story here, isn't there? Yep. She tells them that if they can do that, the Fireflies can get them the battery, basically. With fireflies have resources. They'll get you what you need if you can do this run for us. Joel and um, 
Tess uh, go to talk about it, but as they are taking Marlene, as they're talking, Marlene yells, y'all talk about it. Talk it over, but I'm bleeding out over here. <laughs> Another funny line. Tess takes that into account, turns around. Yeah. But this is this is where I thought that it was very obvious that Tess is the is the general here because sure. she doesn't really run this plan by Joel. She just she, turns around and makes a call. She she just tells Joel, "This makes sense. This is how we're going to structure it. I, I I need you to back me up here." And yeah. Joel's like, Joel fights her a little bit, but not that much when she's obviously decided what's going to happen. But he doesn't even give her a basic green light for this agree. He doesn't. He never gives a nod or a yeah, let's do it or anything. She just turns around and she yeah. says. Here's the deal. We're going to get you. We're going to get her to your Firefly crew at the state house. But before we hand her over, they give us everything we want. If not, we kill her. Ellie, really? That fast? Because Marlene immediately agrees yeah. to it, which is pretty funny. Marlene tells her, look, you're all that matters. Go get your backpack. And they take off. Ellie looks at Marlene as she leaves and bumps her, bumps him. So Ellie looks at Marlene as she leaves and then just whack. Joel right the shoulder as she as she walks out. So really interesting interaction between these two right to start with. It's 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 just all piss and vinegar. It's great. Marlene tells Joel, I think very seriously, don't fuck this up, please. And they all break. And as we find out later, what is her motive? Well, what to what priority she assigns the idea of Ellie Cargo? You can only imagine how much desperation is going into trusting this trusting Ellie with people that aren't under her control. It's like she has adopted a mindset. This is the only means this is going to happen. I don't have a choice. Dear Christ, this sucks. So I got a theory. I'm going to, I'm going to theorize what's going on with Ellie. I think based on what we know this episode that Ellie is not when, when, when the, when the fungus, the fungus will attach to her clearly. But when it attaches to her, it does not spore. It does not grow for some reason. She's not a host, an acceptable host for the fungus. Mm -hmm. And I think that what they're going to theorize is that humanity started to evolve to like kind of fix this situation, right? Like we have this external threat, which is this fungus. And we always check our Darwinian like basic science right we always evolve to deal with the thing that's fucking us up the most and she is some sort of evolution in humanity to not be a host for this spore and they have to get her somewhere presumably some sort of governmental lab or i guess it wouldn't be governmental if the fireflies are doing it but somewhere where people can figure out what that is and replicate it that's my that's my guess i would like you to take that theory i'd like you to write it on a little sticky note and i'd like you to put it on your wall and perhaps, maybe, sort of, we'll come back to it. Cool. Like it. Um, cut to Joel, Tess, and Ellie walking in the rain. Um, singing in the rain. Singing <laughs> in the rain. Didn't, didn't realize you were a Gene Kelly fan. That would have been a pretty good joke, right? Ellie would have. Boy, would she not have understood that. She didn't Not even... a fucking clue. <laughs> I think I lost three quarters of our audience anyway in 2023 without the pandemic. The, the fact I said Gene Kelly and we both still chuckled with who that is. We are, yeah, the, we're, we're down to the fractions within the fractions, sir. They walk into a building and they put her... In the apartment, as they close the door, Ellie goes, what the fuck? She's just everything. Yeah. Everything. Uh, if you watch with subtitles, you can catch what they're saying outside. So uh, Tess tells Joel. HBO Max subtitles are the worst on the planet for being reliable on this, so you're going to have to tell me. All right. Tess tells Joel, 
there are not a lot of options. There's a short way or the long way. The short way is pretty much dot, 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 garbled, garbled, garbled. Mm. Joel then says that leaves the long way. Things look bad. We'll come up with something. We'll have to drop head to Bill and Frank's road Atlas stock up on anything we may need. Keep track of those little data points and snippets that they just gave you. During this, Ellie is looking around. She sees a book of Billboard top hits. Sort of a strange book to have. I mean, it did. It did make me question, though. Something like this happens. Like who is who's grabbing the thumb drive of all the Beatles music, burying it? Like who's saving the most quintessential art that we have created in the past millennia? Who's doing it? You and your you and your record player are going to be essential for preserving future for music for future generations. Maybe I will. Maybe that's my. Maybe that's my. I'll flight. I obviously flight away, but maybe that because like. It would seem like, I know it might seem like not super important for the people who have like the zombies running in their face, but it is holistically important that we save some of this art from this I, previous period. Have you read Station Eleven or seen the, uh, mini, no. the miniseries? No. With that kind of mindset, sir, please read or watch it. I strongly recommend it. It's wonderful. Like we done. can't lose all the art that we created like that. Somebody's got to do something. I fundamentally agree. Perhaps we will travel the country together in a band playing music or even Shakespearean plays. Who knows? Yeah, I do. I do a pretty good Elvis. Um, we leave after <laughs> dark. We leave after dark. Stay with the kids. Uh-huh. Uh, we see a note in the book that says BF 60, nothing, nothing in 60, nothing in 70, new stock, 80 X. Mm-hmm. Joel walks into the apartment. She says, so who's Bill and Frank? The radio is a smuggling code, right? 60 song. They don't have anything new. 70 song. They got new stuff. What's 80s? So, so girls smart girls she's smart. bright that yeah that's quick quick conveyance to the audience that she's really bright mm-hmm. joel takes the book out of her hands and just tosses it he lays down suggests that she do the same thing um she points out his watch is broken nice connection there between sarah and ellie right so sarah fixes the watch one of the first things ellie notices about him is his watch is broken there's a connection mm-hmm. um he wakes up to Ellie telling him that he mumbles in his sleep, which we know already, right? We've already seen him sleep one time. When Joel wakes up, Ellie is looking out the window and she tells him she's never been on the other side of the wall. What quarantine baby. What a world she's lived. Presumably the quarantine wall set up around Boston. She asks him if they go out there a lot. She asked him when the last time it was. He says a year ago. She's basically just trying to confirm from him. And she actually, actually says this line at one point. She's trying to confirm that they are going to be okay. And she finally lands on, are we going to be okay? And Joel just says, yeah, doesn't really want to deal with her. You can tell he doesn't like, I think it's the being attacked with a knife, uh, you know, among meeting you. He doesn't feel a strong connection to Ellie quite yet. Uh, and also just for the sake of uh, uh, video game to show comparison, almost word for word dialogue here going between the scenes in, in, in terms of the main common. Gotcha. So, no, no longer, you know, Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson, but Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey are here for it. Joel asks what the deal with her is anyway. She's some sort of big wig, daughter of a big wig or something. She says something like that. She tells him the radio came on while he slept. The song, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. <laughs> ha ha, wake me up, wake me up. This, yeah. He should have known this is bullshit. Came on and he says, shit. And she says, gotcha. 80s Cle- means trouble. Code Clever baby. girl. Clever broken 80s means trouble folks 80s means trouble i'm gonna get 
I'm guessing she looked it up in the book for the 80s guidance, but that was a very, very clever little plan on her part. Well, and also to work in Wake Me Up as he's sleeping. <laughs> um, that was a good one. Uh, he tells her to um, – he stands up to tell her something. He's like going to fuss at her, but uh, Tess walks in. She explains that the spot under Lancaster looks good. She tells Ellie it's time to go. She dutifully gets her coat. She gives Joel his coat. So we cut to Fedra patrolling the street. They really are patrolling the border. Quite mm-hmm. close. Super close. We see our heroes come out of the ground. Clearly some underground sort of hidden tunnel. Um, you notice Joel tries to help her up. But she doesn't accept it. Did you notice that? I didn't actually. No, that's nice touch. Yeah, he, he, puts a, he puts a hand down to help Ellie and she just ignores it. Yeah. She says, holy shit, I'm actually outside. Just to try to get her down. Uh, Tess fucking tries to try fucking to get down. escort quest. Get down. Uh, she gives her orders on where they're going and they take off. Joel is just shaking his head the whole time. I, I think Joel has a really bad feeling about how this is all playing out right away. Um, clearly doesn't feel good about this. But Tess is kind of leading the show here. So they take off around the bus, crouch down. Uh, Joel gives Tess a concerned look and she gives it right back to them. They walk through a funnel. Helicopters continuing to go outside. Here is my question for you, Spencer. Time Please. Okay. There's a helicopter. All right. Where are they getting the fuel? The pilots. Who's training the pilots? Where are the repairmen? Who's training the repairmen? Where are the parts? The part system. Who's creating the parts? Who the hell is creating spare helicopter parts when they go out? How the hell do they still have helicopters going 20 years later? I think all of the remaining manufacturing and storage capacity of humanity is dedicated only to federal purposes. And we are seeing the last vestiges of technology maintained as that, as that result. May not be running much longer. But at least they're still airborne. I don't think people have a real firm understanding of how long the supply chain is for a fleet of helicopters. Like, you have to have an airship repair center. Like, you have to have parts that are coming in. You have people trained to identify those parts and put them in the helicopters. This is complicated. It's notable, too. This is not like this is the only bastion of mankind, too. Fedra is still apparently, from what we're hearing, running several other cities across the country. Yeah, too. They, if there's a helicopter here, they have a fleet of helicopters for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think your answer to that is Fedra is monopolizing all, all of the resources. resources. Yes. My answer to that is there would not be helicopters. Um, so they see it. Perfectly <laughs> fair. Perfectly fair. They see an officer taking a leak and he turns around and sees them. Guess what? It's the it's- same officer. Appropriate. Same fucking guy. Joel was selling dope to. Uh, Tess offers to split the cards with him, but he sort of scoffs at that. He goes, so they go back and forth, basically like negotiating the terms of their release here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he starts to test them. And she asks about, well, maybe we can give you like three quarters. And Joel then sweetens the deal. He says, everything from our run and half off all pills. He's like, half off, half off. How about all off? Which obviously, like, here's the thing. If you if you want free dope from your drug dealer mm-hmm. and your drug dealer agrees, you're just going to put your drug dealer out of business. Like if he, yeah. if, if Joel has to give him free pills, Joel's not going to have pills for much longer. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, El, Ellie then turns around and stabs a guy in the fucking leg. <laughs> Which is great. Woo! Notably, it's before he does what? Test her. For the, for the fungus, yeah. Yeah, he puts the tester to her, and um, I think that um, I think that's a great point. I think obviously we're getting her rabid personality, but I also think she does not want to be tested. She, it, it, it's demonstrative of the fact that she knows what the result would be. 
Cholin has to get in front of the guy because he's going to shoot her after stabbing her. Joel has this line, potential line of the episode. We can fix this. Loaded. A million different ways loaded. We can fix this from Joel. Very much so. Because what we know of this character is that that's his role. He wants to fix things for his family, protect his family. We can fix this. This is like you put, put on a t-shirt, give it to Joel. Uh, he says move. And Joel has a flashback to him being there with his daughter. And he makes a run at the officer. And oh boy, this is the PTSD I think that you're talking about. Which is added. This we didn't we didn't get to see this. You didn't get the, to you didn't get to obliterate the the skull of the officer in the video game. You didn't get the flashback. You didn't get Joel killing people at this point. At least as far as my memory serves, it is a notable addition and it's a powerful addition. That oh, this guy's he has not healed successfully in the last twenty years. It is a um, very quick way to identify to show like anytime you have somebody who is like physically powerful and you need to show the audience that they have. Um, sustained trauma one of the quick ways to do it is to have them punch a person a little too long that's becoming a trope almost like after the 10th punch and everybody's just looking like oh god like then you know the guy's problem yeah at this point Tess sees that guess what ellie has tested red and she starts to freak out as you would imagine because she's thinking ellie is about to jump on them and start biting sporing and generally doing all of these fungi zombie things Mm mm-hmm and I think Ellie has this information, but was probably hoping to break it to them in a little bit different circumstances, starts to give the word vomit of what's going on with her. She's like, no, I can't get sick. Look, I have the, the test scar. I guess, healed scar. Some sort of infection point, maybe where she'd been bitten or something, but it, 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 it healed. It didn't, it didn't get bad. I, I, I'm okay. Look, this is three weeks old. No one else lasts the day. She's just vomiting up all of these facts that she has previously been withholding from these people. She's trying to get Je- uh, Tess to believe it, her. It like, works. It, it appears to work because Tess does not, you know, murder her right here or anything. She agrees to continue on on their journey, it appears, at least for this point in the conversation. I mean, I honestly think that the, the wrist thing is pretty good proof because it's healed. Like, mm-hmm. you look at it, you can see the, the wound is healed. And you're like, and she's not sick. Like, it, it had to have had time to heal and she's not sick. Like, there's got to be something to what she's saying. Yeah. I, I think I think that's the mindset she adopts, as well as the mindset of we need this, we need to get paid. This could be somebody else's problem. Hopefully, before anything bad happens. I also think Tess is pretty clever, obviously, and she's probably connecting the dots that part of why this girl is so important is the fact that she's Very not fair sick. Point. Very fair um, point. Yeah, so uh, I, I think Tess has enough here to to pull it all together. Um, so uh, Tess then pushes her to move forward. Joel takes the gun, and with Tess and Ellie. They go through a fence. This is biological containment area. And then we hear the radio go off and it's never let me down again by Depeche Mode. What year was that 87. song released? 87. 80s I, means trouble and end of episode. I what feel like every, everyone in America, well, uh, I'm guessing most people didn't recognize this song offhand. It's a little bit, I didn't recognize had, it offhand. I shazammed it. I, I imagine pretty much everybody the moment that song started to play pulled out their phone and was rapidly trying to look what decade that song was. Yep. 1987, 80s means trouble. What a wonderful way to end episode one. There it is. End to recap episode one. Hour and 20 minutes from episode one. A lot of television. Jam packed episode. And that episode ends. I feel like I've said a bit about what I thought of it. I'm curious. You, new to the world, new to the mythos, new to the lore, was it comprehensible? Did you enjoy it? Was it an effective piece of television? Yes, it was comprehensible. 
yes, it was effective television. Now, did I enjoy it? Um, I'm not. I'm not bought in on the concept. As a matter of fact, I'm on the other side of the concept. Ooh, I've, go on. I've had, I've had enough of. There's zombies and the world is ending. Media, like I mean, like you've been so, saturated. I've been saturated unless we're just fucking around. Like if we're just throwing a movie on and it's like zombies are, yeah, I'm all in on that. But like some serious piece of television that I'm supposed to be like breaking down every week and really caring about, I'm kind of out on that concept for this type of media, right? So it starts at a handicapped position. Um, I will say that the episode was clearly well done, well acted, and it's easy to follow what's going on. Um, I can't say I'm 100% sucked in yet. Gotcha. They got stuff to prove. I'm not completely... Like, if we weren't doing the podcast, I might not watch episode two. Not And, and that not, it's not because it's so bad. I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate episode one. I'm trying to say that, like... I'm, I just don't need nine weeks of zombie television. Like I don't, I don't mm-hmm. need that. We had 14 years or whatever of the walking it, it, dead. Like it's been around. I, and I, I think this is interesting for us because for me, it, it, I think we each of us have different genres of where we're accepting of something that's well-tread ground so long as it is good. And for me, zombies is still that for you. I think star Wars is an example of that, of where, it can be well-tread ground, but so long as it's well done, you will always appreciate it, even if it's well-tread. Zombies is still in that category for me that I will fully accept that in a world that has gotten a hell of a lot of zombie fiction, it needs to be a hell of quality for it to stand out. Otherwise, it just disappears into the morass of just way too much of that genre. Yeah, and like I think that if you're in that, if you're making that distinction, right, like you have to just... the the whatever the thing is has to probably give you warm and fuzzies for you to continue to roll with it. Right. Cause you gave mm-hmm. the star Wars example. That's a good example. Like I like being in that world. I just like, I like spaceships and lightsabers and Jedi. I, I just like all that stuff. And so even if it's like not the, like, even if it's like Boba Fett, which was kind of like, I'm still in. And I imagine that people who really love the zombie concept are still in on this stuff. I've never loved the zombie concept that much. Mm-hmm. So, being saturated with it and then now being asked like, okay, you're in for nine more weeks of this. And it's like part of the problem I have with the zombie apocalypse shit is that like, I kind of know where it's going. Like in terms of the tropes and of what's going to play out. Like, yeah, I mean, I know, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I think I know where this show is going, which is that they're going to go on some sort of epic cross country thing to go find Tommy. But ultimately humanity's not like coming back. It's not like, Boston's gonna poop snap back and be like regular Boston again. Like Walking Dead ended happy-ish. Like they're kind of fucked. Like billions of people have died. Like well, that's true. Like, yeah. like, like to me, like that it's kind of over at episode one. Like <laughs> the stakes are kind of over. Humanity already died. Now we're just seeing five the leftovers. billion people died. I'm I'm not super concerned what? that these two people continue living. Where, like, where do you um, where, where do you think the title comes from, sir? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I feel like on top of it being a trope that I've seen, not trope, a, a genre I've seen over and over again. And the fact that I feel like narratively they're kind of boxed in once you create, I don't know, the world is ending. Uh, I, I, I probably wouldn't watch episode two if we weren't together. Uh, me, me, I'm much more strongly sold on it. Even if I haven't played the video game, there is craft here. It's a well, it's well-tread ground. It's a zombie genre with a, a spin of it being fungus, which I thought at least the intro set up that well, but it is actually kind of a spin. Hey, did uh, you get, um, 
did you get how they how they kind of casually dismissed the um the the like um virus like what's what's the name for it? a respiratory virus that we that we just had like yeah. how they just casually like yeah well you you're always uh, gonna, we're always going to be fine with that and it's like they exactly uh, described uh, covid that was kind of I, I I thought that was perfect just like oh you know the, you know the trauma you've all been dealing with that's caused millions of lives and shut down the global economy at various points small potatoes small potatoes welcome to the real welcome to the real story we're, right now we're always going to win with that sort of virus but it is clearly well crafted it is clearly well set up. It clearly has some sense of an independent lore beyond just simply only working on zombie tropes. And, and this was going to be the selling point, because I thought the voice actors did so wonderful for the video game, they needed to get them right here to replace Fred Baker, Ashley Johnson, and so many others. Uh, the cast is great. The cast is very well done. The actors already seem to have really good command of their roles and the emotions they need to bring to bear. I think they got a lot of great setting points to make this a truly great show, not only just as a great video game video game adaptation, rare as that is, but actually uh, some good prestige television for this part of the year. Okay. All right. So that we are at a – we're flipped. I, I'm we're, more positive. We're, we're flipped for where we are always – pretty much always are on Mangum Talk Star Wars, right? Mangum Talk Star Wars, pretty much since that podcast has been started, you've been either – basically barely in or not in on whatever the media is. And I've been pretty much all the way there. We're flipped on that. I, I, I'm not sure I would watch episode two if we weren't continuing to review it and you you're in on it. That's pretty interesting. All right, let's jump to um, segments. Let's go to best line of the episode. Uh, I will start. And I will also just note that's the 100% reason I didn't appear for Andor apparently, because I actually enjoyed it. I'm happily watching it week by week. So I can't do that in podcast form. Um, you, uh, hey, we can absolutely do an Andor podcast. No, nope, no, we can't. I like it. I would, I'm no allowed. <laughs> I would love to do that. Uh, that, 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 that show was really good. Uh, opening monologue by John Hanna in terms of the true fungus, fungi cannot survive its host in terms of temperatures over 94 degrees. And currently there are no reasons for fungi to evolve to be able to withstand higher temperatures. But what if that were the change? What if, for instance, the world were to get slightly warmer? Well, now there is a reason to evolve. One gene mutates an asomzyta, candida, ergot, cordyceps, aspergillus. Are any of the are any of them could be capable of burrowing into our brains and taking control not of millions of us but of billions of us? Billions of puppets with poisoned minds, perfectly fixed on one unifying goal: to spread the infection to every last human alive by any means necessary. And there are no treatments for this, no preventatives, no cures. They don't exist. It's not even possible to make them. So if that happens, so the, the host asks, so if that happens. We lose. It's a great opening line. It's a wonder. They, I love that they brought in some quality actors for like two minutes of the opening part of this episode. But it's well delivered. It's well. It sets up the tension for the overall series. And it's a great addition that wasn't previously in the video game. So I think it's a great start. Yeah, the guy who's interviewing him was in Silicon Valley, by the way. He was. It's another great actor they brought in for basically having three lines of dialogue. Uh, he had one funny line where it was like, well, you know, where do you... Where do you get your LSD from? Where do you get your LSD? Yeah, it's really funny. Um, you, you want to do round robin or should I just go down the list? You go down the list. Um, uh, Joel and his daughter Sarah. Where'd you get the money for this? Drugs. I sell hardcore drugs. It's better than what I do. It was only twenty dollars I stole from you. Could have stole sixty, but I put the change back because I'm an honest thief. It's really cute. It's a great banter between the two it's of them. Wonderful. It's, it's a lot of fun. I agree. Just makes uh, it hurt worse later. Oh, that's the intent. That is the well executed intent beyond that emotional manipulation. Uh Tess, now I promised Robert that you wouldn't hurt him, but I would very much like for you to hurt him. 
So let's go hunt that motherfucker down and get our battery, our, get our battery and our truck, and then we'll go find Tommy. All right, all right. Tess is a badass, and we love her. And and if you little known fact, name is actually Tess, not Jess. Oh yeah, no, we're learning things every day. Uh, Marlene, you fight for twenty years and you get nowhere. You're not a rebellion. You're just spray paint. Woo! What a good one. Uh, Marlene again. Don't. Not at her. Point it at me. And to answer your question, I need it for a better reason than you do. Strong line, strong character. Agreed. This is just an entire part, but you're going to move Ellie out of the zone tonight. Well, I'll just do the favorite part they like. Kim, I can do it. Kim, you don't have a fucking ear on your fucking head. Could you please? Really funny line. Followed up by, y'all talk it through, but please remember that I'm bleeding out here. Very good. Marlene's funny. Uh, Tess, uh, okay, here's the deal. You'll get your crew, we'll get her to your crew at the state house. But before we hand her over, they give us everything we want. If not, we'll kill her. There and then. Marlene, deal. Ellie, really? That fast? Funny funny back and forth. Uh, I'm telling you, man, Bella Ramsey is low-key really, really, uh, a really good comedic actress. I don't think... Good time and good delivery. I'm not... It would take a very interesting casting director to make the leap to cast her in a purely comedic role, but she might excel at that. She's good. Mm-hmm. I think with Marlene, you are all that matters. My team will not jeopardize that. Uh, Ellie. Oh, the radio came on when you were sleeping. What? Uh, what was the song? Ellie. Oh, you just kept saying, like, uh, wake me up before you go-go. Joel. Shit. Ellie. Gotcha. 80s means trouble. Code broken. Again, great delivery. Well done. Mm-hmm. Sir, God Emperor of our best line and best quote, I have offered you these tokens before you. Which will you select? Uh, As usual, I will select one you did not um, call out. This is a very, very common tradition here on Mangum Talks. Uh, On all of the shows that we cover, Spencer will supply me with lines for best line of the episode, and I always pick one that he did not select. However, honorable mention will be one that you called out, and it is you fight for 20 years and you get nowhere. You're not a rebellion. You're just spray paint. Solid one. What, what's that, the winner? What, the reason that's honorable mention is because I don't think that the Fireflies versus Fedra is the core tension of this show. I think it's one of the secondary tensions of the show. The Fair core enough. tension of the show is the, our lovely heroes and the characters that we know. Therefore, I am going to pick the line. It might seem simple, but I think it's loaded, charged, underline it, bold, italicize everything. We can fix this from Joel. Solid line. Solid line. It's a We it's can fix little, this. A bit of episode hope one. For, a bit of hope for an otherwise very cynical character. Episode one of a zombie apocalypse show. Best line of the episode is we can fix this. I think it's pretty good. I think it's good, Spencer. I think you see what it did there. Man has hope. Uh, uh, okay. Next, let's go to our next segment, which is a familial scene of the episode or father daughter scene of the episode if you don't want to if you don't want to gender it, we can say familial episode, uh, scene of the episode. We, we will get, fair to say, we'll have other parents on the show at various points. Um, I've got two that stuck out to name. Uh, one, just for being adorable. The other one for being um, almost tears in my eyes. Adorable was Joel faking that the watch was broken when he got the gift. Uh, yeah, he, that was wh- good, right? Oh, is, is it supposed to work? <laughs> she freaks out. She's completely sold. It's such a dad joke that lulls her in, and it's just 
a perfect little moment between the two of them of him making of him making the gift even that more special because they now they got a memory attached to it. And right before that, the the I got a gift. I got a gift. Yeah, What's my gift? Great. Uh, so that, that one's definitely one for me. No, another one for me on the complete opposite side is when she's her ankle is either twisted or broken. When they're running through things and he's picking her up, he looks at her looks in her eyes and says, "You keep your eyes on me, okay? Okay? And you don't look anywhere else." He is just sheltering her with all the part of his being and trying to keep the outside world away. It's such a dad moment and it's well played. Ah, uh, but so tragic because like th- that's that's part of the, the problem. I have with these, these, these types of shows is that like, he's going to lose. Like <laughs> it's, it's a pretty much over. Like it's all over. Like, you're, yes, he's trying to, he's going to be able to do this for max 20 minutes. Your definition of victory changes when everything else, when the game, when the game is falling apart, your definition of victory changes. Hmm. Good quote there. A little philosophizing with Spencer. Uh, do you have any other, da- any, your dad? Or yeah. For me, stuff? for me, it's when, um, uh, uh, when Joel steps on the knife and Ellie is trying to get it <laughs> and she reaches for it and he kind of jerks down and goes, like, what the fuck? Like I said, no. Like, it seemed to me that they probably had Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey hanging out for weeks and we, they probably shot a bunch of other scenes before this because that look that he shoots her is not the look that you shoot a stranger. Hmm. It's the look you shoot like a kid who's like, You've told them 15 times, like, stop asking. And they ask again, like, get again with that shit? Like, it was almost, in a strange way, it was almost like, like, uh, uh, like a knowing, a knowing look to Ellie a little bit in that moment. And I think it, it probably is foreshadowing some things to come between the two of them, obviously. Okay. I think I think we picked some quality uh, familial moments this episode, and what was otherwise at least a couple steeped in utter tragedy. Can we also do the one where um, Tess is managing the reaction? That of is Joel a fam- that is a familial moment. Good call. Yeah, yes, yeah, and he sees that she's beat up, and she's like, "Look." Hold on. Like, first off, she lies. She, first, she lies about how it happened so that she can build into it. And then she, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, because she just, the last thing she wants is for him to just run out in the middle of the street and like either screw up their, their chance to get their money back or get killed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think we're going to get probably get a lot of tests to Joel warmness. I didn't see a lot of like, Joel warm back to Tess. That was another thing I noticed in this episode. No, Joel, Joel is loyal to Tess. He is following her and bound to her to a certain degree. Warmth we did not see. We didn't see warmth from Joel directed to anybody in the modern time frame. Did you know, notice that like when, when she got in bed, she rubbed his back, but there was no physical reciprocation from him. Like I think I think that's going to be something we need to follow with Joel is like his ability to love, basically. Uh, one interesting thing, by the way, that just occurred to me. Um, no, actually, I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to come, come back to that in a later episode. We'll see where it comes up. Are you ready to do some ethical? Yes. Research? Yes. Professor Spencer. Professor Spencer. Professor I, Spencer. I, I feel like given our mindsets, we are inherently just going to adopt differing views on these just for the sake of argument. And I'm looking forward to it. So right. I'm going to start with one. It's the earliest one we see in the one of the earliest ones we see in the episode. Joel ordering Tommy to leave the people by the side of the road. Ethical issue, sir. Do you think his actions are excusable, justifiable, ethically appropriate? Your position. All right. So when we're doing this exercise, are we saying what I would do or what I think is right to do? You could tell me both or either. Just okay. specify it, before you say. 
Because I feel like that distinction is important. It is not important for my answer to this one, because in both of those, if is it right or would I do it, I would do exactly what Joel said. I would not because it is clear he's probably heard a little bit on the radio or a little bit on the, he probably knows a little bit more than our first person perspective from Sarah does that this is a disease of some kind. Mm -hmm. You know that this is a disease, obviously it's transmissible, like, and people are everywhere attacking other people. I'm sorry. I am closing that dome as fast as I can and nobody Mm -hmm. else is getting in it. And I think that that, I think everyone should do that. Like I wouldn't be mad if somebody didn't pick me up on the side of the street. Like I get like, I get it. Like you got to close the dome in this type of situation. That would be my thoughts. You, I would probably feel compelled to let them in the bed of the truck. I wouldn't let them in the cab. Wouldn't let them in the cab. Don't know who these are. Situations are going all to hell. Probably with that kind of pickup, I would have let them in the bed. I mean, that's even what uh, Sarah Tom, says. That we, Sarah says that somebody says that. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody says, can we put him in the bed? Right. Exactly. I think it almost like, it's like what we talked about disaster situation. I'm going out of character and flocking to add to increasing the size of my group. Just, it would almost be, I feel like I don't ethically, I think it'd be appropriate, but it almost would be extra, feel like extra protective to me if we're, I got more people now. We're, we're putting something back together here. Hmm. Yeah. I, I see. I, I go the other way, right? Which is close off, push everything else away until you get more information. And so you have a little bit more what, better sense of what's going on here. Well, the complete other way, which some of our friends might do would actually be to kill them and steal their stuff on the side of the road because they're NPCs and you need to loot their stuff for the sake of your group. Which is probably a lot of what you're doing in the game, right? Is you're, you're just whacking people. Uh, there is a lot of murder. This does happen. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I also would never have gotten in the truck. I would have stayed at home to the extent possible or somebody else's home. Um, lot I would have very much fortified in-house. I, I can tell you that just because I, that highway that they run into of just cars going for miles, that would be the absolute worst case scenario. It's like, if you want to drive, wait a week, barricade yourself until then. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not getting in the car. Just, I thought that reaction from them was borderline hysterical. I think uh, it was just hysterical. Get in the car and just, let's go. We, we like, got to get out of here. Got to get out of here. Got to get away. Danger here. Okay. Sort of nutty. Sort of nutty. I think we have differing views, but understandable views when it comes to that one. This is one I think we set up that we might have some more disagreement on, or at least it could be fun to discuss. Uh, military rule and martial law versus anarchism uh, and, for, and and de- democratic terrorism in the apocalypse. Seemed like you were leading toward more towards the latter in the support of the Fireflies. Than democratic terrorism? What the hell? What kind of phrase was that? I, I think it's literally what they're doing in the sense that they're setting off car bombs. They are launching attacks. They're having snipers. Well, they're in a rebellion. Streets. Sure. One one person's terrorism is another person's rebellion. Either way, people are dying in the streets. Okay. All right. Sure. All right. So, but that's not their end state. Their, their position is that they are launching a popular rebellion for the support of democratic and human civil right values that right. have been taken away by an oppressive, dictatorial, despotic regime. Right. But, they're, they're, that my, but I guess my point is that, like, they don't view what they're doing as because their, their in state is to stop all that. Like their in state is to, for, to not have to do all of the, the blowing sure. up and the killing. The, and the same it, that. They are viewing as a means to an end. It is still their means. Cause I mean, from, I'm sure from their perspective, they don't have any other t- uh, arrow in their quiver. Terrorists. Marlene didn't like that at all. Uh, uh, are you Riley? Do you, do you have a, are, are you here to represent and defend that cause? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like, um, so one of the things I, 
like I firmly believe, right? Is it like, I know it sounds like kind of super basic, but like we only have one life, right? Right. And, and that's kind of like, I don't, I'm not sure everybody always lives with that in mind. Mm-hmm. For example, people who are, I promise you, I'm not talking about you. Don't go, even jump in. Go on. Who are miserly to a point with, with money and they don't, they don't enjoy their life. And they keep saying, I'll enjoy things when I get to 65. I'll enjoy things when I get to 70. Well, you only have one life. You might die tomorrow. Like we need to enjoy the days that we're given. I firmly believe every day is like something to be enjoyed. And as shitty as this fucking situation is, Mm -hmm. I think the federal government would have a responsibility to ensure that people are still allowed to the maximum extent they possibly can to enjoy those days that they have. And this government is not doing that. They're not prioritizing that. They don't seem to give a fuck about it. And I think that's a real problem because you still are governing people who this is the, this is only one life and it's pretty short. And by the way, we fucking survived. We didn't get it. We're in this quarantine zone. It's kind of amazing. Can you please let us like, not like have a yoke around us all the fucking time can we enjoy our lives? We only have one life. So that's kind of where I come from it. I think that there's a lot, you know, obviously there's a lot of other ways to approach it, which is, you know, do you really need 20 years of martial law at this point? Like that, that's not really like, that's not really a point of martial law. Like at that point you're just authoritarian and you're just ruling to have power because you, you've, you've held on to this for so long. This has had to have been a steady state for a good long time. 20 years has been going on. Right. Um, so there's other ways to approach it, but for me, it's thinking, focusing on the citizenry and the fact that like, you, you, do, you might not have much time. Your government should facilitate the best possible life for you that you can have. I, I fully understand and agree with that mindset and motivation in terms of what's driving the driving you and driving the fire, the fireflies here, firelights, whatever that, um, my issue is is that I don't see how any state survives this that isn't spending almost all of its funding on the military. I just don't see how that's possible. They are in a post-apocalypse situation of where they are under siege against a world that is trying to kill them, and where people are actively dying in the streets every single day from infection, from attacks, from whatever else. So I don't know what can be restored of the old world when that still kind of outside threat is in play. So I, my picking of order over uh, freedom here is not in the sense that I agree with the order mindset. It is an evil, evil, unnecessarily controlling regime, it appears. Um, but I don't think the alternative would work. And I think the most likely effect that would come from an armed revolt in this kind of barely hanging on society is the collapse of that society and the death of everyone in it, rather than a return to democracy? Well, I'm not necessarily like I don't know, I don't know what the fireflies are actually pushing. No, right? I'm purely speaking of what we've seen. I'm not trying to say yeah, about anything broader because I, I don't know. Like I don't know if like pure democracy is like in in all areas is realistic. I, I, don't, I don't think they're proposing that. At least from what we talked about. Because like you're right. Like the bulk of your resources would need to go into basically personal personal protection, right? The protection mm-hmm. of the citizenry. Um, but I also think like the federal government would have a, a very important role to nationalized energy production. Like fuck municipalities, they're all gone. We're nationalizing energy production. We're nationalizing mm-hmm. manufacturing of core essential services. Pills and bullets. Probably, we talked about this. Probably going to at some point have to nationalize the production of certain food. Um, Pills like, and bullets. 
so that's a problem, right? That it's just pills and bullets. And it's a problem that when Joel says, hey, what jobs do I have? It's basically like, like street bodies. sweeping or sewage. Yeah. It's like, it, it's not like, oh, well, you could go like, I don't know, help make bread or, you know, what, what the fuck ever that the government should be doing. It seems like the government is entirely focused on a very necessary element, but also, but not, but not this other part, which is these people are still having to live in here. Like, what are you doing to help them live? I very much fundamentally agree that the government could inevitably doing this situation better. It's just a very awkward situation of where I don't think armed, I don't think anything other than armed revolt could have any hope of changing that, but I don't think armed revolt is going to have any effect other than the downfall of society. It's the curse of this kind of situation of where things are fucked enough that almost any destabilizing element is going to leave them almost permanently fucked. Yeah, I think the answer is new, new, new settlement, new government, new, new. Just new, leave like, and refound. Yeah, I think that's the, in the short term. That's what you have to do because I think you're right. I think if you take down um, this FEMA stand-in thing, I, I Fedra the acronym. If you take down Fedra, then all of a sudden you you've, you've uh, you've taken away all of the safeguards in place to keep everybody safe because Fedra is still providing that core service of keeping people, keeping the infected people right. out. If, if, if they if, topple, you're not going to be able to like step in for that beat for beat, one for one immediately. So you're you're putting people at risk. So I I, I see what you're saying. Why don't you just fucking go to uh, Oklahoma? Yeah, new city. Very much possible. Hey, from what we heard, the the rebels are leaving. They're going oh, elsewhere anyway. Go to Detroit. Guarantee there's no one in Detroit. <laughs> Detroit was abandoned on day one. There's big buildings. Prime real estate. Big buildings. Like, yeah, a lot, I, a lot, a lot of real estate. Real I mean, just even practically, if you're doing an armed revolt here, let's say you win. How many soldiers did you kill to make that happen? How many fewer guards do you have now manning the wall? How many fewer trained personnel do you have than you previously Anything that did? kills the few remaining people you have is a terrible idea. I, I agree. I, I'm not sure that I agree with the Fireflies methods here. I, I don't know not enough not. of it. I, but I, I, I do think that like after 20 years, it's time to like look at what you're doing and say, hey, guys, like, is this the fucking steady state? Like, We've been doing this for 20 years. It's not, not even great to be able to leave, though, because apparently leaving can get you killed by the government, too. It's like there is no... I can understand why people would join a rebel movement in this case, because they're being presented with nothing, no other choice. They're being so, is so the driven with their behind, back to the wall. Is the concept behind killing people who leave, like, you could, you, when you leave, the likelihood you're going to stay safe is basically zero. And then you become one of the enemy and we cannot continue to feed the enemy soldiers by letting you go out there and uh, get infected and then come back and fight us. I think it is an element of that and also an element of you leaving removes resources from your community. Uh, removes labor, removes your ability to aid the community. And so effectively they almost view you as being like um, a deserter, that you are a military soldier that has gone AWOL and we will be punished accordingly. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'd let people go because I mean, if you have a, a truly like a wall built around a quarantined area, it'd be very simple to kill those things if they come running at you. I mean, they, they're, they're not smart. They don't have weapons. Like they're just, they're just going to run at you full tilt. Boom. One bullet, bam, down. Like it, I feel like you would get after 20 years, it would get pretty straightforward about killing these fucking things. I'm going to ask a question. Did you watch the trailer at the end of the episode? Yeah, I did. Did all of those look the same as they've looked previously? No, but none of them looked like they were going to start like 
putting together an intelligent military or, you know, using weapons. They just look like they grew. They did look like they grew, which suggests a certain element of change. Just saying the threat is more indifferent and altering as the fungus grows. Interesting. Okay, well, I think that's a good part to wrap up. Um, The next on showed, I think, a little bit of where it's going. I think the only thing that terrified me is at one point it looked like our girl Ellie had real sores on her arm and she was freaking out. Uh, They gave us one little shot of that. Didn't like that. Not one bit, Spencer. Not one little bit, because I you, already love Ellie. Are you getting defensive of Ellie already? Are I you, love her. Are you kidding me? Okay. Love Ellie. Yeah, she's 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 amazing. Uh, I'm already sold. rooting for her. Already rooting for her. Not necessarily sold on the series, but sold on Ellie. So we will be back with you next week to review episode two of Last of Us. We are going uh, nine episodes for this season. Did you know how many episodes there were, Spencer? I didn't actually know. I was kind of surprised when you told me that. Yeah, nine episodes. Um, and then if you're wondering what Mangum Talks is going to be doing after that, we will bleed right into Mandalorian. So we'll, we'll go. We'll jump back over to Mangum Talks Star three. Wars. Saw the trailer. Uh, March 1st, and we will we will do beat by beat. We will review Mandalorian. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for joining us here. A lot, of, I'm sure a lot of uh, folks listening have joined us from some of our other podcasts. We appreciate you joining and listening. We'll be doing this every week. We enjoy it. If you like this podcast, remember this is a new podcast feed, so please rate, review, subscribe. Do all of that stuff. It really helps us, and it gives us a little bit of motivation to keep doing this every week because guess what, folks? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of resources. It's a lot of time, and we do it because we hope that it makes your day, your week, your month just a tad better. Thanks for listening. See you.